Hey everybody, welcome back to Flippin' and Mashing, a podcast about pinball, video game, arcade games, and whatever else we love in our game room. If there is any suggestions, video game movies, like there's the Netflix kind of like video game documentary series, I would suggest watching that. It's kind of fun. Yeah. No, I liked it. Oh, I haven't finished it because... I don't know what I'm on, episode five, there was subtitles and I was doing something else and I wasn't able to pay attention at the same time. So I was like, not going to wreck this. I got to watch it when I have focused time. I loved the Doom episode. I don't know if I've been there yet. I'll have to look. Oh, that's a good episode. I'm really enjoying it. It's it's, It's interesting to get the history of a bunch of stuff that you haven't really seen yet. Like there's a bunch of history that is mainstream knowledge and it's nice to get the kind of the unknown unique stuff it's fun gobbling up content absolutely all right uh we'll start with some game room updates i have listed my acdc lucy for sale oh my god you listed a game for sale shit the only reason why it's listed is because it's completely overpriced only because it's the only lucy on the market at the moment I don't know if I'll list the price. I mean, you can obviously go find it on the internet, but it is a little high. It's the only Lucy on the market. It is heavily modded. Um, it's not that much higher than the Lucy's that have sold in the last six months. So I'm throwing it out there. I can always drop it down a little bit. I have had interest, and they they kind of asked why it was so expensive, but uh, that definitely means it's getting some views. And I also posted, hey, throw me an offer. And no one has made an official number offer. But that is for sale only because I'm still waiting for Cactus Canyon info to drop. And we still haven't got it. Yeah, but that's not the only reason. Possibly. No, that is th- it's in the future. Come on, Ryan. Can't be wrecking the news. It's it's, it's coming out. We're, we're going to talk about it soon, everyone. I yep. know you're super excited. Otherwise, not much... I was just, I got the, oh. Your Tron's had some traction. My what? Your Tron's had some traction. Oh, get out of here. It has. We've had people asking if he'll sell it. Oh, yeah. I did finish the Medieval Madness Color GI update. I forgot about that. That did take me three to four hours, uh, but I was very on and off throughout the day. And I did also post a comparison video on YouTube under my North Vibe channel that shows a side-by-side comparison of a stock game and the color update. Given it was only shot on my cell phone with a (laughs) mic stand hanging above it, it did a pretty good job of showing the difference. I cannot believe the color GI update. That, to me, looks amazing. It's very subtle. And nice. It doesn't wash out colors when you're trying to actually see the ball. It's very uh, event-coordinated and goes back to being just a nice, normal game. Totally recommend it. It was 250 There is some finickiness with routing the wires, which, honestly, that's not a big deal. But the top trim for your glass, I swear to God, that was 16 staples. And you can't see. You can barely reach them. Pain in the butt skis, but I got it out because the new one has an LED strip, sort of like how you did your Metallica, but this is a full replacement. The 
RGB LED strip is kind of, you know, installed into the new trim piece. And then what was the other goofy part? Kind of mounting the parts to the back box. The Ethernet splitter, one of the strap things broke when I tried to bend it straight to push against the cab. God, there was one more part that I said was kind of finicky. Oh, the pop bumpers. So the way that they installed the pop bumpers, they kind of shared some joined splice sections. So you have to cut those, then you splice all the pop bumper wires together with a new pigtail for powering the light socket in it. And the wires out of the pop bumpers are not long enough to splice together with each other. And honestly, I probably would have been faster for me to solder or splice and make them longer. They were just long enough that I wrapped them all together and got it. But it was very finicky. I still would recommend the kit 100%. I'll be saving up for the XL display at some point and... um there is some DIY for adding RGB pop bumpers and RGB speaker lights into the XL display. Ryan, do you have a question? I saw your hand raise. I do. You need to be getting the topper before you get the <laughs> screen, though. We've talked about this. <sighs> the funny part is the topper is kind of a waste of money, but at the same time, it's a very probably limited run and in the future will be worth a bunch, right? And that's kind of our thinking. I think so. There's yeah. a possibility. For sure. Yeah. I, w- I would assume they would make a limited number of them and they're not going to make an endless amount. Well, I think that there'll be more screens, XL screens, than there will be toppers. Yeah, I don't disagree. Because they're easier to manufacture. Yeah, and they already make them for their other games. They're just like, I don't know if they branded it to MM or... I would assume it's pretty generic. Well, but still. And then I went to... uh my buddy's house and picked up the golden tea this weekend. I just thought, oh, I'll just throw it in the back of the truck and uh, head back home. We boxed up, boxed up. <laughs> we packed up the family, went to our friend's house for a night to spend time with their family. If you ever had children, you know that it takes about two cargo loads of bags and equipment and clothes and whatever else accessories to have a, a overnight or even day trip with your kids. And so on the way down, a bunch of crap was in the truck bed. And I kind of forgot how big Golden Tea was. And so we went to the warehouse to pick it up. And I looked at it, I was like, oh shit. It's going to fit in the truck. But then I didn't realize it was going to fit in the truck with the tailgate down. And I brought straps and blanket and wrap and all that. But then I'm going... I wonder if all of our stuff will fit in the truck bed and not fly out. So I very efficiently packed the cab so that only stuff in the truck bed was like a pack and play and a cooler, which I had to strap through the handles. Everything was fine. It came back fine. We I had some help getting it out of the truck and it's in the garage to get fixed. But uh, I was just a little worried that I might <laughs> might have to make two trips or FedEx some stuff home. Uh, But it went well. I've talked to Ryan about it. Sounds like we kind of have some ideas on uh, troubleshooting as it won't quote-unquote boot up, but it powers on. There's just nothing on the monitor. The funny thing was when I popped open the, what do you call that, like a 
that thing where your hand your hand goes with the oh the control panel when you pop the control panel out. I saw a 3D effects card, and I said Ryan that to Ryan that it was the most expensive part of, part of the game. <laughs> Hydro Thunder, Off Road Thunder, and I think Arctic Thunder all use a very specific 3D effects card, and so it's kind of a unique. Until you apply some sort of hack to the computer, it's a kind of a unique specific card that's needed. Uh, that is all I have. I will just be. You know, leaving Lucy up for sale. If it doesn't sell, I don't care. But Ryan, what what is going on in your travesty of a house with your AFM that you had for trade? Yeah. So, listeners, it's that time for me to come clean. My attack from Mars is gone. Let's just have a moment of silence for it. The King of Pain is pissed. He always is, though. Let's be honest. Um However, however, um, I know last episode I had talked about getting a Rick and Morty, and unfortunately that deal didn't happen because, listeners, listeners, I got a multimorphic P3 in my basement. Now, I will go ahead and tell you that it is probably one of, uh, have confirmed it's not the but it is definitely one of the heaviest machines I've ever moved. But I have a multimorphic P3 down in my basement, and I have Lexi Lightspeed's module playfield. I have Cosmic Kart Racing's module playfield, and I've got Heist. That's oh. right. I've got Heist. Okay, so I've kind of been secretly in love with the P3 since it's uh, mo- probably since heist, like love since heist. I've always been interested in P3 and I've always joked with Ryan about getting one. It's just a little expensive. So you don't, and, and you also don't see them for sale used. The used market's hard. The new market obviously is just expensive. Was the one you got, was that even listed? Yeah, that was right. Yes, it had been okay. listed. Yeah, no, um, it had been listed. And it was actually pending to someone else, but the deal ended up falling through. And I was quick enough, hop in that spot and uh, negotiate a deal. I also, like you, Parnell, thought that uh, the game is kind of a, a high entry price point. Although, to be fair, these days... It's not really any higher than uh, what some of the manufacturers are asking for their full-length, full-featured games anymore. Uh, as disappointing and kind of crazy as that is to say out loud. Um, we're looking at you, JJP. <laughs> I also would give P3 an up on this because it's a platform and a game. And so with one cabinet and small cost Playfields, you have an unlimited number of games at your fingertips. Instead of a ten thousand single game, you have a ten thousand dollar game with multiple games in it, and the platform's open, so you can develop your own game on it, which then leads to unlimited resale value. Ryan's going to get a bunch of Parnell games because I'm going to start dabbling. Yep, yep. Until I can convince him to buy his own. Listeners, I I seriously have to tell you, I have been. My skin has been crawling since I picked this up Wednesday. 
the recording date today because I want you guys to know how how awful it's been. It's Monday. It's the first. We're recording this episode on the first Monday night. I have wanted to do this podcast since Wednesday night when I got it home. <laughs> was it Wednesday? <laughs> yeah, it was Wednesday. It's almost been a week. I have been, I mean, man, talk about a bug up my butt. I have had one because I've really wanted to talk about this platform and kind of talk about some of the misconceptions and I think a lot of unfair prejudices towards it. You know, you go on Pinside, you you talk to some people, I'll leave names out for the time being, and they'll tell you that it feels like you're playing putt-putt pinball or something to that effect. Uh, it doesn't feel like a real pinball machine. I'm here to tell you guys right now, this feels just as good as any other pinball machine I have down in my basement. It just has way more features. It is packed to the brim with cool shit. It has constantly evolving and updating code and mini games and additions to full length games that they've already released. Uh, and the fact that I can swap a playfield out in less than three minutes from like beginning to end is God tier. I mean, it is so easy to swap these playfields in and out, and it completely changes the game. I have four games right now in my basement that take up one footprint spot. And these four games all play differently. They all have their own rules. They have their own graphics, their own songs, their own callouts. Everything is different about them from one to the other. And two of the games use the same playfield module, but they feel nothing alike. <laughs> um, and it's just due to how this game works or this platform works. And I can't say enough good things about this platform because it's not, you know, if I go tomorrow and I buy a $10,000 or a $9,000 LE from manufacturer A or manufacturer B, that's one game. That manufacturer is not going to continue to come out with new code, new updates, allow me to play online against other people that own the P3 platform. I'm not going to be able to get a new play field that comes out that swaps in at any amount of time that's a whole new game either with all new graphics and all new everything guys the the fucking side art to the cabinet is magnetic they're just magnetic like strips i can pull the side art off quicker than i can take the glass off and i can put new side art on it just as quickly the the apron that's magnetic too i can buy different aprons for each one of the games i have they're magnetic they slap on, they slap off. It's incredible. I can't say enough good things about this. And the best part, the, the cherry on top, I don't have to worry about playfield dimpling because it is a not wood two-thirds bottom playfield uh, material. Instead, it is a high-strength, clear, oh, I forget polycarbonate. the term. Polycarbonate substance. That is a quarter inch thick, removable very easily, and it will not dimple like a normal pinball machine's uh, traditional playfield will at all. It's crazy. Crazy talk. When you were talking about this deal, I was uh, excited for you. It was a pretty nice package. Like a, It was a really nice trade. And I just said, as a warning, 
because I have only, I've never played one, so I've only heard what people kind of say. I just said, make sure you play it and it feels good to you. Because I had heard that same thing where it feels different. I think the, the guy even said you need to play it before the any trade happens. And what did you think? Uh, I let Chelsea play the first game. I don't even think she got done with the first ball and she's like, I want it. And then I played a game as well and totally blown away. And what game was in it when you guys first like uh, played it or got it? Heist. Heist was in it at the time of us purchasing it. The other two play fields were packed underneath it in their boxes, which fit conveniently underneath the pinball machine, I might add. But yeah, we, we showed up. I showed him the attack from Mars. He had gotten pictures, obviously. Uh, there was an exchange of some funds. Uh, it was not an even trade. Uh, however, afterwards, I left with a Multimorphic P3 platform with Heist and Cosmic Kart Racing and Lexi Lightspeed. So I am blown away especially once I got home and I swapped my first play field um, because get this everyone. I got to play four player head to head cosmic cart racing online with other multimorphic players. <laughs> I got to play with other people, including Kevin from Buffalo pinball. Like, Holy shit. Do you know how awesome that was to hop in discord and us play for over an hour and a half Cosmic Kart Racing head-to-head. Like, words cannot describe how awesome of an experience that was. And they do it regularly. So this is something that I could right now go into the Discord and say, hey, let's do something, you know, Tuesday Tuesday evening or Saturday evening. And I'm sure I could get a couple people ready to play some Cosmic Kart Racing at almost the drop of a hat because the playfield swap out in like three minutes maybe. The longest part of the process is taking the glass off and setting it down somewhere safe where it's not going to get damaged. Like, it is nuts how easy this is to swap out the different modular playfields, and you get a whole new game that plays completely different than the other ones. Have you played two games on a single playfield, and do they play different? Uh, They do. Thank you. That's a great point. So I not only got those three games and the corresponding playfield modules, but on Cosmic Kart Racing's playfield module, there's an individual who made a game called Ranger in the Ruins. And get this, everyone. It is a roguelike pinball game that is randomized every time you play it. It has good items. It has bad items. It has two multiballs or maybe three now. It has a wizard mode, or maybe two wizard modes. I'm not entirely sure, because I'm not good enough yet to get to the end to be able to confirm that. But um, it is a very deep game. Not everything that you want to collect is good. You don't know it until after you collect it. Uh, There's one item that gives you negative 4,000 points, and that's not a small amount of points. Uh, It's called bad food. And I think the description (laughs) is you shouldn't pick up food off of dead people because the whole point of the game is you are a one of the few surviving uh creatures left on this planet i think you're a humanoid i'm not entirely sure because you're robed and caped and you're traveling and as you travel periodically you will find other people that have fallen 
at points in the game. I think Nick said there's like over a hundred different worlds. So if you play the game a hundred times, you might not end up hitting each world and you will not see your fallen bodies necessarily, but other people could find your fallen bodies. And each time you find a fallen body, there's an opportunity to make a shot, one of many, and two scoops or a scoop opens up uh, right above the TV screen or the monitor, the high-definition monitor there, and you have to shoot that scoop. I think it's five or eight seconds you have to shoot that scoop and collect the item. You don't know what the item is, but you're picking it up off a dead corpse. And yeah, one of the items is bad food, and it says you shouldn't pick up uh, things from dead people. (laughs) When he says you find dead people, that's literally other P3 people playing this game. Yep. So it's sort of, I, I kind of said it was sort of like Dead Souls or Demon Souls. No, Dead Souls? Demon Souls. But what's their sequel or the prequel? Dark Souls. Dark Souls, yeah. It's like that where you see you used to be able to see their dead bodies or you'd see a message. Uh, that's wild. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is the first online pinball machine. I, I believe it is. Yeah, and like I said earlier, I was able to, paying no monthly subscription, paying nothing extra, included in the, the base game module playfield itself, I get to play online head to head with other people. And if I was big ball of dollars and for some reason I had two P3s in my basement, I could hook them up together and play head to head right next to each other and talk shit to Parnell while he's kicking his ass the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so, needless to say, it's been probably the most innovative and exciting experience in pinball that I've had to date. Seriously, truly. I, I don't understand why there's so much hate for this platform. Uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think there's a lot of, I read someone who's, you know, comment who said that they played it a bunch, or I've talked to someone that went to a trade show some amount of time ago and played it and thought that it was boring or whatever. They are constantly adjusting the rules. They're constantly adding new things to these modules and the, the games and mini games that they have associated with the modules to where the game you may have played two or three years ago, even if it's the same playfield module, is not the same game anymore. Like almost entirely. I mean, let's let's perfect example, let's look at Stranger Things. Everyone said it shot like poop and they hated it. Well, they went in and they changed the code, and now all of a sudden everybody are really warming up to it and say that they love it. Now, how is that able to be excused, but people one time play a P3 and maybe aren't playing the fun modules, or maybe we're playing the module in like a beta stage or at a much earlier revision from where it's at now in code, and they immediately are just like, yep, nope, not fun. Not going to play it again. Not interested. So that, that didn't really fare. Um, you know, and unfortunately I think the largest factor in this is, um, P3s still coming out and there's not necessarily based on where you live, there's not a ton of P3s and you're not going to regularly see them on location. Uh, I think that's probably the only real drawback is, um, you got to get good friends with someone that has a P3 so you can go play it because I'm telling you right now. Best pinball moments that I've had in the hobby. Period. From our, uh, my understanding, 
you can connect it to your Wi-Fi. You can. Then you can play. There's one game with online play. Just Cosmic right Kart. now. Yep. Okay. Right now, there's just one, and I don't even know if it's out of alpha yet, or if it is, it's in beta. It's it's not like they they aren't claiming that it's like perfect and polished. Okay. Um, can it do online updates for your games via not the Wi-Fi? Yet. So that was actually one of the first questions I asked them about is me being the guy that I am, I connected it to my Wi-Fi and I saw update. You know, you can update by USB or network. And I went to go hit network and it just made this weird like eh, eh, noise. And I'm like, well, either there's no updates for this or I'm doing something very wrong. And they have not yet implemented the ability to update over Wi-Fi. But I have been told that it is coming. So you will be able to update the machine from the network, which is super cool. Another thing I ran into is I needed to update most of the modules that I have for the game. And it was very refreshing to know that I didn't have to swap each module in to update it. I only had to update the platform. The module did not need to be installed into the platform for me to update the firmware and software for each one of these different play fields, which was also super nice and convenient. I bring one USB stick down, I plug it into the front right behind the coin box that's right there. Don't have to take the back box off or anything like that. From the factory, they come that way, and I can update everything, just you know, update down, update down, update down. Very quick. I think it took me less than seven minutes to update my four games to the latest revisions uh, with everything that I needed. And in stark in stark comparison, some of these spike updates probably take five or ten minutes, uh, you know, to install it and then verify it. it. Not I obviously could opt to not I think verify it, but I do because I worry. Uh, so. Yeah, that's at least something to note. Your online multi-head experience? So you, it was you playing four, three people? Correct, yep. In Cosmic Cart. What was that like? Like, how was the online gaming experience? Because, like, when I think of that, I think of Mario Kart, right? That's really sort of what it feels like. Um, I mean, it, it's not 100% the same because you aren't, like, steering the cart, right? So... More of what your objective is when you're playing online head-to-head like that is to make specific shots that are lit. And you also want to... You have to manually move the inlanes. They are not by default set to the main flipper button. I mentioned this because there are three buttons on each side of the cabinet. A red, a white, and a yellow. And by default, which I have actually ended up really liking... You can move the inserts on the white flipper buttons, but those do not activate the flippers. So you have to have the ball roll through the inlanes to build up. And once you light all four inlanes, you generally collect a shield, which for a temporary time allows it if someone tries to use an EMP blast or uh, hazards or quite a few other things, they aren't able to target you and take you down or slow you down. The road hazards literally has two scoops that pop up from in front of the playfield, 
with a wall in front of each of them that blocks both ramps and most of the other shots in the game minus the orbit, the outer orbit and the scoop. And I think you can sneak a ball into one of the inner orbits. Um, but the, the ability to then also collect those power-ups and use those on other people, I mean, it's super cool. You can select who you want to screw over to. So if there's one person you really hate, you can be like, yeah, fuck this guy and <laughs> always be attacking him as opposed to somebody else. But generally speaking, what you'll want to do is look up at the back box if you can, or I think down on the play field as well. And you can see if the carts have shields active and you obviously don't want to target somebody that is a shield active at that time because they'll just blow it off. No big deal. But the really unique and interesting thing about Cosmic Cart, besides the fact that I truly believe it gives Steve Ritchie uh, not just a run for his money, but I, I think it could be one of the flowiest games I've ever played, um, is the fact that it uses magnet manipulations in the game. So there are four magnets in the game. And they don't take the ball and, like, throw it at you. They actually use these magnets to stage the ball to go over a vertical up kicker that then goes to a separate area that gets vertical up kicked again up to the top and spits it out because they don't use the traditional trough, so it allows them to do this. Uh, and, the, by the way, I think the trough can hold up to 20 balls or 25 balls. Um, you don't need that many, but it can hold that many. Uh, however, you take this ball, you start your game, it spits it all the way out up at the top, out of the backboard of the game, and it holds it at the lowest of three rings right there, almost like the Lord of the Rings ring shot. And then once the game starts, it whips the ball up the rest of the ramp down to your flippers. And hot take here, you generally have to turn the magnets down from the factory because they can whip that ball around so fast. It comes off the fucking wire form coming back to the flipper. Uh, the, and that's the magnet furthest away from the flipper at the lowest point of the ramp that there is one. Like these magnets are powerful and you can even stage three balls up there inside of each one of the rings. And then you can also use kinetics to where one ball goes in and knocks another ball that's being held by the magnet the magnet catches the new ball and ejects the old one that you just hit down to your wire form and to your flippers. I mean, there's a crazy amount of stuff that this playfield does. And that's just one of them. <laughs> that's just one of them. But there are, I think, five different tracks. Each track has different parameters that you'll need to do to win. Um, and... Each track is going to make the playfield play slightly different. So generally speaking, there's a those three magnets that will speed up the ball, almost like a getaway two, where it will whip the ball faster through the magnets. Well, that's super nice and helpful, right, on all the modes except for one of them, where all those magnets are disabled. And you essentially never want to make that shot because it's not impossible, but it's a pretty steep ramp. Um, and the whole point of that mode is to shoot the same shot over and over and over and over again. And every time you make a new shot, you now light that shot only to allow you to accelerate. 
And then you have to continue to make that same shot to be able to get through and progress through the race. It is very cool. And that game has a ton of flow. And they had an update for Cosmic Cart. Have you, I'm assuming you updated your game. Yes. To the newest. Yep. I think recently they added a, what you would call maybe a campaign for the cart. Before it was an arcade, is that just, do you, is that just multiplayer? Do you remember? Yeah, so it's, it's actually kind of interesting. So it's, it's counterintuitive uh, from what you might think in the wording of it because there's an arcade mode and then there is a campaign mode. The campaign mode would make you think that that's the very long playing game. Now, by stark comparison, it actually isn't necessarily the long-playing game. It depends how good you are. I mean, obviously, if I had John Junt over here, any of them are going to probably be long-playing games because John Junt's playing it. Uh, For me or you, though, uh, the campaign is a three-ball traditional game where you start out, you have no money, and you have to work side jobs, you have to do races, you have to win the races to then collect money, and then you can upgrade your cart. And each time you go to a race, it gets harder and harder and harder. Um, so a lot of it is collecting money, building up your cart, and then going and racing. And if you lose, it can either take a ball away from you or it can just kick you back into normal play and you have to try again. Now, again, at any point, if you're not in a race, uh, which takes some time to get into, by the way, that's not something you can just shoot like immediately. If you drain, that's one of your three balls. And then it's game over. Arcade mode is uh, exactly how you would expect a racing arcade game to play. Where you start out, and it doesn't matter if you crash your car, right? doesn't matter if you drain your ball. You just continue going, and you're racing the other computers. You get first, man, you keep going. You keep playing. And in between each race is a time trial. And the time trial, I think unless you run out of fuel, which there is fuel in the game. Uh, so if you're taking too long, you will run out of fuel and you will not complete the race. But as long as you don't run out of fuel, you will complete the time trial and you'll go on to the next race. And that will just continue. Like I think one of my arcade games, thinking it was a quick game, it ended up being like I think 15 or 20 minutes because I was – racing then going to a time trial and racing again and then going to a time trial and it was a ton of fun so there's two very distinct modes and when you're in the main races if you drain your car just kind of spins out like you hit a banana peel in mario kart and then it's just going really slow and then you have to shoot lit shots to speed the the cart back up and the more shots you can make in combos or the more shots that are lit that you can make in combos the cart can start screaming at you know crazy ridiculous speeds down the track uh, it's almost cartoonish how fast uh, they can accelerate if you start railing on shots correctly and building it up. Uh, but then there's also times where the captive ball is lit, and when you shoot that, you collect an item. And those items include the roadblocks, the EMP, and I think there's a few others that I'm missing, a boost, a shield. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of depth. And like I said, that's one game. That's just one. I have three others. Ranger in the Ruins uses the same modular playfield as Cosmic Kart Racing, but it plays completely different because it's a roguelike game. So that's one module with two really awesome games that I could sit down in my basement and play for over an hour and be completely happy. Completely happy every day. So what is it like having an LCD take up 
two-thirds of the play field from the bottom to the upper two-thirds? So that's a really good question, and I will answer it to the best of my ability. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my God, I snorted. <laughs> uh, so the you have to leave that in. Uh, so the the reason being, it's not just a display that's displaying static images. Everything in the game, including what's on the screen, you can manipulate, you can interact with it. And that's something that's super cool. So... For instance, in Lexi Lightspeed and Heist, your ball is tracked using, I mean, a poop load. I showed Parnell a picture of the test for all the different sensors on the playfield. Metric poop loads, listeners, of sensors shooting out all these beams all across the playfield. Or, well, I should rather say the, uh, the clear plastic... Uh, or not plastic, it's a clear polycarbonate surface, these sensors track exactly where the ball is. So if there's something on the screen that you can interact with, when that ball rolls over that image, you get to interact with that. And and in Heist, uh, you shoot stand-ups that ultimately are ATMs, and they leak money out that fall down the playfield. You have to shoot the shots to collect that money, to get towards one of the multi-balls. In Lexi Lightspeed, you have to interact with that to be able to get, I think there's a bug frenzy mode you can get into by killing enough bugs that are floating around because you're in the swamps or near the swamps uh, in Florida somewhere. (laughs) Uh, But then there's also like a mode where you're in a warehouse and all the scoops and walls pop up And one scoop allows you to progress forward that's lit green. And there's another scoop that's lit blue somewhere else. It changes every time. Uh, And you shoot the boxes, the crates that are on the ground. You crack those open. If you find a gear, you have to then shoot that same gear that's on the actual LCD screen. You pick that gear up, and then you progress deeper and deeper into the warehouse, trying to collect all the, the gears that you need to collect to finish that mode out. I mean, some seriously innovative, cool stuff is going on with it. And it is so awesome to know all the information down right next to your flippers. When I'm in multiball, I do not have time, especially initially when you're trying to just get control. I do not have time to look up at the the display on a traditional pinball machine and be like, okay, so like what's going on? Like what's my jackpot at? What's, you know whatever information or status I need, I get that right down at my flippers. I, I I can literally look at my flippers as I'm getting control and I can see everything right there on the play field on this huge screen that gives me the exact information that I need at any time, uh, including in single ball play. I get to see my score. I get to see what ball I'm on. I get to see how many warnings I have or rather that I don't have. I get to see all that information right there, and it's super cool to just have this very interactive screen, this high-definition screen here, that not only is it interactive, but it is super duper, not blindingly bright, but it lights up the whole game. You, I can play this down in my basement that has no windows, blackout curtains for the door that's there. I can play it perfectly in the dark. I don't have to have lights on. I don't have to. I don't feel the need that I need to have pin stadiums. 
So it's really incredible. And Parnell's gotten to see some videos. He's not gotten to play it yet. But in the next week and a half, well, a little over a week and a half, he will be coming to play it. Because you guys bet your ass. I'm going to drag him down here if I have to. He needs to come play this. I remember watching the Heist like announcement release stream videos and being super excited because that that arm mech was, I think, yeah, a pretty the crane. big. Yeah, the crane is a pretty big game changer. One for the platform, but two, I think it even got a Twippy or some sort of award for best mech of 2020. I mean, it without a doubt is for sure. It can extend almost down to the flippers. <laughs> Like it it can get that close to the flippers, uh, which is just super cool because it becomes a bash toy. It becomes an object that can pick up a ball and manipulate it, hold it with the magnet that's underneath it. It can move the ball to different areas. I mean, it's seriously cool Uh, and it's three degrees. So it can move, you know, up, down, left, right, in and out. Uh, So there is a ton that they can do with that, with that crane that they do in the game. We know that they love developing and are wanting to be innovative. The only way they can sell more P3s is to get more games. So there's more stuff in development. I can only imagine. And Heist got, I think we thought it was announced or released in March of 2020. So we're rolling up on a year and I would, I would think that they'll have something new this year sometime. Uh, the cool thing is you buy the platform, which is, uh, quote-unquote, the expensive part, but then... Yeah, it's $10,000 and $9,995 for the game and one module. Yeah, you get one playfield. New playfield with one game, like uh, Cosmic Cart is one. Heist, you could like if you had an original P3 with Lexi, you could get the Heist package. Those are about $2,500. The Cannon Lagoon is fifteen. Yeah, Heist is 28 because it adds a third flipper into mm. the game. And that's why it's a bit more. Not only is P th- or not only is Multimorphic going to announce more games for those playfields, but that platform is open so that Nick Baldrich, he's making like a game for every playfield. So he has a second game in development and he even has announced a third game for the Heist playfield. Yep. So he's got a heist one now. He's got, was it Quest for Glory, which is an RPG, a point and click Sierra RPG game on the Multimorphic using Lexi Lightspeed's playfield. And then he has Ranger in the Ruins, which is the roguelike game on Cosmic Cart. And how weird is it that there's like six scoop things right above the LCD that can pop up or be blocked? Well, the really interesting thing about it is. Each game utilizes those differently mm-hmm. uh, and in really cool ways. They're, they're not all the same. I think Heist is really awesome because there can be times where a armored truck will be driving by and a scoop one at a time will open and close. And you have the opportunity to shoot that armored truck to gain a ton of cash towards starting a crane multiball. Now, in comparison, there's also times during the game where you'll hear sirens. And you'll see a police car driving at the top of the screen. And instead of one scoop open, it's two. (laughs) And whatever scoop you shoot by accident, if you get it in there, 
you send that heist character, whoever they are, to jail. And then you have to go into the jail multiball to break them out of jail. And it, during jail multiball, because you're breaking into jail, there's going to be more cop cars coming around the top. So you might bust some of your characters out. But it's very possible, and I've seen it in stream more than a few times, where one of your shots, if you aren't paying attention and you're flailing, you're going to send another character, or maybe the same character, back to jail again. <laughs> oh I'm pretty pumped to play the highest. I think it was a P3 seller for their platform. I think that game has sold, has helped sell systems, just like you would say, like uh, Mario Kart's a console seller for Nintendo. I think that was a big one because that game looked crazy. Right. There is a ton of stuff. Every shot in the game can divert or allow the shot to come back out somewhere. And there's a lot of interactivity to the game due to the way that they have a trot system at the back of the play field. There's no shooter lane. It allows them to have balls staged at all these different scoops and vertical up kicks all over in that back area to where you can shoot a shot to where maybe it's an orbit. And instead of the ball coming back out around the orbit, it can immediately, I mean, as soon as your ball hits the switch to tell the game that you made the orbit, it can fire a ball out onto one of the wire forms back to your flippers. Or it could do the opposite. It could gobble one of your balls that you shot on the habit trail and it can fire it out one of the other shots somewhere else. So the the game has a ton of kind of interactive play in that sense where even if you make a shot that doesn't necessarily mean that that shot's going to return to you the same way you think it is and that's something that's really interesting because it keeps you on your toes you're like is that going to get diverted or is that going to come back the way i think it's supposed to come back and based on the mode and whatever else you're doing uh, there's a lot of different possibilities to that i think that just adds depth to anybody making games where they have so much freedom on being creative. So their game, even game between game and game, but even in their game, mode-wise, with the way you can manipulate the ball and send it different paths, changes up gameplay so much that the variance of gameplay seems not unlimited maybe, but definitely very deep so that you can make a game that won't get boring. Right. And each game... Truly, each game module does shoot differently. It feels different. It is not the same. Uh, I cannot drive that home enough. Each game does play differently, and it is super refreshing to swap out one game module for another in under three minutes and have a completely different experience than what I was getting three minutes ago. When you swap a playfield with ramps, what is it like to put ramps on and off? Oh, I mean, it's painless. Like, you you just pull the whole thing out, the ramps come with it, you put the new one in, the ramps are already lined up to the spot. You really don't have to monkey with any of it. Like, ever. Is there a way to adjust them, though? Like, if they get out of alignment? Yes, you can adjust. There are adjustments that can be made, but on all of the games that I have, there's zero adjustments that I have to make. The ball cleanly and completely hits the wire forms the way that they're supposed to to return back to the flippers. Every time. And let me tell you guys, 8-ball, multi-ball, and Lexi Lightspeed is knocking futz. (laughs) (laughs) 
real talk. I today got my first eight ball multi ball in Lexi. Uh, the game immediately spits those balls at out at you like one after another uh, due to the cool toy UFO ship that locks the eight balls in it. It can very quickly spin around and kick those balls out and divert them if need be. But uh, eight balls going on that game is nuts. Like actually nuts. Does it have a normal coin door so you could put it on route? Yes, it does. Hmm. And I believe the coin door even has the metal square cutout to put a bill acceptor too. Yep. And we do know that they've been on location before and I think are still on location in some places. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Multimorphic has put their games on location down in Texas. I don't. I mean, I know um, that's a big state, but. Texas. I don't know. I think there's one other place, but I don't remember uh, for a route. But it seems like a pretty solid system. So I could definitely see it doing well reliability-wise on route. I think so. Uh, and it's everything about it seems really easy to work on. Everything about it. I mean, besides the value that you get from having one play field that could ultimately end up being you know, an infinite amount of games because there are multiple like mini games for each main module that it has its own dedicated game that can either be created by an individual developer or individual company or first party. They've also made it very easy to work on, which is super nice. You can pull the flippers and the slingshot assembly out in like less than 15, 20 seconds. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. But it's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I was going to say, like, is there anything else? Yeah, it, it's heavy. It has very good build quality, though. And I love that all the art and the apron art and everything are all magnets. So it's super easy to swap it out if you wanted to. Go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I only know of Nick Baldrish making a game. He has posted at the pin side, so it's like public knowledge. I don't know anybody else. There's no production numbers on P3, but based on its platform, I would think that a lot of the buyers would be wanting to uh, develop, and maybe not. Maybe it's just a bunch of people that just want to be able to swap games and and play, but I would think that there's going to be more and more games coming out for it, and... That definitely is what they want. They want it to be like an app store ecosystem where people can develop games and sell them. And like you can make money on making good games. Or you can charge nothing or next to nothing for good games too. Also true. So, I mean, if you're one of those feed the people, you can absolutely charge 10 bucks for your game. No, I, I seriously, I cannot talk about and urge everyone strongly enough to truly consider getting one of these because it is one of the most unique, cool, fun pinball machines that I've ever played. And I mean it. (laughs) Oh, hooping it up is free? Yes, it is to any P3 owner. Did you get it? Uh, I have it installed. No, I don't have it installed. I have not played hooping it up yet. Get out of here. I've been too busy playing uh, Ranger in the Ruins, man, and Heist and Lex. I mean, fuck. Do you know how hard it is? So I have six, well, seven games down in my basement right now. 
I really have like 11. <laughs> There's so many games I have to choose and decide like, hmm, I wonder which, what I'm going to play today. Oh, okay, I'm going to play the P3. Which P3 game? <laughs> Does that get hard then, choosing what, what you're wanting to play? No, because it's really easy to swap them out. So I generally will just end up playing like whatever I'm in the mood for. Like today I played Lexi Lightspeed and had a ton of fun. Did you, um, which one did you play? Because there's like a second one. I don't have the second one yet. I need to buy it. I just have not gotten around to it yet. Oh, okay. I have not played the second one, although it's apparently very multi-ball focused. Uh, it says literally in the description for it. If you like multi-ball, you will like this <laughs> sub mode. So I'll like it. Yeah, absolutely. That'll probably sell you on the machine. Well, that in Barnyard. <laughs> I love me some animals. Moo. All right. We were able to score a special guest. Ooh. To talk. I should say we. I should say really. I should say Ryan. Uh, to talk about this system. Ryan, you want to tell us about who we're going to be speaking to? Yeah. We have Jerry coming in to talk with us virtually to talk with us about the P3 Multimorphic Pinball platform and all the games, which is super fucking cool. <laughs> this is the CEO and pretty much creator of Multimorphic. Yeah. They started, he'll explain in the interview, but they started out making the P-Rock boards, and that only developed into more P-Rock boards and then this, this gaming platform. So our guest tonight is Jerry from Multimorphic P3. Uh, he's sitting down with us to kind of answer some questions. Since I recently just got a P3 myself, I figured this is a great opportunity for us to get some additional spotlight on this really awesome, amazing pinball machine that I now have in my basement. Well, thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. I guess my, let me pull the notes up, but my first kind of question is, so there's, Multimorphic is the company, right? Yes. And you have a, you have actually a handful of different stuff and products going on. So what are kind of the the top level products you got? Yeah. So we started in, I actually designed in 2009, I designed a board called the P-Rock board, which I designed because I wanted to get more control over the pinball machines I had in my house. I wanted to add some new game rules and new code to them. But I designed this board. I designed it to be backwards compatible with uh, WPC games and Stern games so that I could retheme a few different games. And that turned into a whole lineup of control system boards, P-Rock, P3-Rock, our PD-16 and Switch-16 driver and switch boards, LED driver boards, and those kind of things. Essentially everything you would need to control a pinball machine. And then we parlayed it into the P3 machine. But yeah, we started as as a board company. I didn't realize it was started that long ago. 2009 is the first year we sold yeah. the P-Rock, yeah. I have a P-Rock that, uh, that goes up to a Stern DMD. And I bought it probably four or five years ago. But man, I haven't even... Uh, I was going to redo my Tron... And I haven't plugged it in yet, but I was pretty pumped. Well, <laughs> like, I, I wonder, the idea was there. We've sold, we've sold, we've sold more than a thousand of these boards. We've probably sold a couple thousand. I wonder how many of them are actually in machines, and how many of them are just in the "I hope to do this cool project someday" box. <laughs> the well, if it's anything that list. Parnell touches, yeah, it's going to be a Parnell's forever project <laughs> list. <laughs> well, luckily, over the course of 
five or ten years, um, there's a lot of stuff out there now that can help you complete the project. Now they're, they're really mature frameworks and there's a community of people who have done similar projects. So when you're ready to turn that machine on with the board in it, hop onto uh, the Pindev Slack channel or the, the pin side channels where people are talking about this stuff and get some advice, get some questions answered and just jump in. Yeah, no, I'm pretty excited. I I started on the Mission Pinball Framework um, okay. rabbit hole, so I'm cool. partway there. Yeah, those guys do a lot of good stuff for the community for sure. Oh, I can't believe how community driven a lot of this like game development on the P3, all the board development and just code the everybody seems to be pretty nice and friendly to help support other people. I don't know what it is about the maker community, but that seems to be pretty consistent across disciplines. It's just people who like to make stuff enjoy talking about what they're making and enjoy helping other people make stuff too. So yeah. yeah, it's really neat that that the community kind of grew out of this effort to give people more options and more control and to let people design their own stuff. Well, and it's so unpinball <laughs> of us. You know what I mean? Because it seems like these days there's so many people that are trying to do the opposite outside of like the homebrew and the um, individuals that are trying to get these P-Rock boards into their machines to do something else or achieve a, a custom homebrew game utilizing your boards. Um, so that was something that I've definitely noticed and I'm really surprised by. Whereas if you go on, you know, pin side, yeah. um, sometimes people are helpful, but then sometimes people really don't want to help depending upon what you're doing. Uh, and I'm not as much talking about like the, the homebrew individuals or the, uh, creators of the mission pinball framework, but outside of those groups, more like rights to certain things and stuff. Pinball isn't all sherry. Everyone can kind of have some, uh, in different areas. It's all very secluded. So I thought that that was really awesome when I was initially exposed to that too. I think there's an aspect of people wanting everyone else to feel like what they believe is awesome, they want other people to think it's awesome and vice versa. So well, pinball is known to be such a diverse thing. There's so many different types of games. There's so many different art styles. There's so much, many different themes and music implementations and everything else. So it's just a, it's an industry and a community that, that people are able to have tons of different opinions. And some people, <laughs> some people would deal with that a little other little differently than other people do but the maker side of the community is everyone just trying to take whatever their opinion is and create something and the creation process is something that brings those people together it doesn't matter what the what the art's going to be or what the theme is or um, what it's going to do or how it's going to play whether it's deep or shallow or whatever it's just people getting together to create something and enjoying the process of creation rather than judging people's results which is fairly mm. unique in the industry, I think. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. So the boards were 2007, nine. So the board, the P Rock was 2009. I think it was 2012. So I started with the P Rock, and that took a couple years of my life because. <laughs> I announced it, I released it, and then we got a bunch of people who bought it to do these projects. We got, like, for example, Dutch Pinball. They started as oh. 
um, a couple of homebrew type guys who took a P-Rock, put it in a Bride of Pinbot, and created Bride of Pinbot 2. Oh, they did the Matrix game. They didn't do the Matrix. That was oh, wait, another was that- couple of... Uh, one or two Dutch guys as well. Oh, okay, that's why I got confused. I'm not sure why the Netherlands is so is, well, is so into early <laughs> custom pinball projects, but yeah. So there was Dutch pinball, which is Barry and Kern, and then there was I think Pinovating was the name of them. They did. <gasps> yep. Because they did the Kill Bill. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Matrix and Kill Bill. Oh God, I was just i had a giant demonic at the time and i was just like please make a kit yeah the license too but too bad that license is so um popular or expensive or whatever it is i i I don't know if a homebrew team could go after that kind of a license i was kind of introduced to the p-rock when it was kind of the matrix era uh on that giant demonic re-theme and then also there was one for demolition man where there must have been like an upgrade that was actually the same people. That was, I right? feel bad because I'm forgetting his name, Dennis. Dennis, uh, I forget his last name, but he started, do, he did Demolition Man on Steroids, I think it was called. Yeah, that sounds great. D-M-O-S. He did that. That was kind of his introduction into custom pinball work. And then after that, he and a friend got together and did The Matrix. That is so cool. So I, I heard about that, and then um, I, I kept trying to figure out like how, how they're doing it, and then it kind of started coming like, oh, you have a computer, and then there's this new board, and uh, I was hunting for a demo man for a little bit of time, and then asking all my friends with demo mans if they're going to do the upgrade, but <laughs> no one, no one in Minnesota did at the time. It's weird to me that it was like a. It was viewed as a productizable upgrade kind of thing instead of just somebody's project. I, I, I think he just showed off the project and a bunch of people were like, I want that, I want that, I want that. And then he kind of <laughs> had to figure out how to allow people or um, package it in a way that made it possible for people to use. The yeah. same thing happened with me. I did a, a – when I first wrote – I worked with Adam Preble. He was a software developer who got involved with the P-Rock early on. And he gave me the basics of a framework, and then I took that and added a bunch of functionality using my Judge Dredd machine. So I created an entirely new rule set for Judge Dredd just as an experimental thing to create this software framework feature set. And I had a bunch of people that were emailing me wanting to buy it. And... I mean, it was a whole process to go figure out if, one, if I wanted to do that, two, if I wanted to support that, and three, if I was comfortable giving someone this half-baked software for a game that um, I I didn't know if people would enjoy it or not. If you give someone software, if you sell them a board and give them software that you're not 100% comfortable is complete and feature-rich and um, solid and stable, then you could turn them off, right? You, you give someone a product and it doesn't work right, then they're not going to be happy with you. They're not going to be happy with the product. They're not going to be happy with the board. And it's it's a risk. But Yeah, that seems a little scary. I, I, I gave him that pitch. I told him the truth. I said, I'll give it to you, but one, I can't promise I'll support it. Two, I don't know if I'll ever finish it. And he, he's, the, the first one still wanted it. So I sold it to him. <laughs> And never heard from him again. 
it might be good or bad. Yeah, I have no idea. No, it must have worked perfectly. <laughs> you said you kind of have that that engineering background. Um, is is Multimorphic your full time gig now, or are you still kind of moonlighting that that company? I've been full time at Multimorphic for eight years now. Oh wow, good. That's good to hear. Yeah, I tried it for a while, just you know, nights and weekends. I did the P Rock stuff for a couple years, nights and weekends, but um, doing something as big as Multimorphic and the P3, which I'm sure we'll get into later, uh, is not something you can do part time. It's something that requires a lot more hours than there are in a day or a week or a year, and a lot more people than just me. So we had to kind of commit and, and go at it. Well, especially when you have people like me contacting you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone gets a new P3 and it takes a little while before you fully understand it, right? It, it's still traditional pinball, but there's enough that's different about it. And yeah, there's a, there's a bring-up process with pretty much everybody. There is. There is. Uh, I think someone in the Discord chat wrote it perfectly, you know, that uh, we just need to read the manual and watch the YouTube videos and like 80% of our questions are answered right there <laughs> before ever reaching out to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I send an email to everyone who buys one new and to everyone I know about who buys one used. I send an email with the links to those videos and to our support site where we're, we're putting more and more information about troubleshooting and usage and maintenance and all that stuff in our support channel, our, our website. Most people who buy it for the first time, they want a personal touch. They want to talk to someone instead of instead of reading a bunch of verbiage on, on a website or something. So we still hear from a lot of people, even though we're trying to put more and more resources available or online for them to, to be able to find. Well, I mean, the one thing I can comment about that is um, I don't know how you fit all of the hours into the day, but... Uh, you and your team are Johnny on the spot whenever I do have a question. And uh, even if it's a dumb one, I really appreciate how quickly you guys get back to me. Well, hopefully we didn't so. set your expectations too high. Cause, uh, uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talking to people and helping them through the machine and answering questions, solving problems, getting them up and running to me is one of the most enjoyable parts of the job because I get to, I get to interact with people who like what we're doing and are supporting us and, it's mutually beneficial. Um, of course, it also does take away from dev time and management time and running a company time. So as we grow and as we increase our sales, we'll probably have to start uh, abiding by more normal work hours and probably hiring a team of people to just do tech support full time. But we're not quite there yet. So it's a, it's a it's a fun part of the job. It's also a time consuming part of the job to to support everyone. But I, I like to do it, and it's fun. I guess that brings me to a couple questions. Like, how how big is your company team? And then, are you still doing like development of the either the any new P Rock boards or support, and then the P three system? Are you still hands on on those? Yes. So we, we have a team of people that are all around the world. Um, we have software and artists and music and video people. Uh, team's about 12 people right now all across the world. Um, a few of them work at the factory. A few of them are building machines and doing mechanical engineering and, and doing the physical stuff. But 
because those people have to be local because I don't really like trying to design mechanical things and physical things remotely. Someone has to build it and someone else has to test it. They kind of need to be in the same room. Um, but all of the people who can work virtually or through video conferencing or emails and through software, um, we don't really have locational requirements. So we've managed to find people that want to support us and help us over the years. And, and they're all, when I say across the world, we have a couple people in, well, we have one person in New Zealand. For a while, we had someone in Japan. Um, we've got people all across the country and a couple people in Canada that help us. Uh, but yes, it's very hands-on for me still. I, I was a computer engineer. I guess I am a computer engineer. That's what I did full-time before I started this. And I still handle most of the hardware engineering. Uh, when we design a new game or integrate a new game into the system, I'm the one that does most of the electronic integration and figures out what new features we need or how to design a board or um, how to integrate that into the machine. And I manage everyone else. So I'm managing the groups of developers creating game content and those kind of things. And I, because I can do software, if we need someone else, if we need an additional resource to help on software in a project, then I jump into that too. But it's a, yeah, it's more than an eight hour day's worth of work. Hardware design, <laughs> software design, team management, project management. And oh, by the way, I got to deal with, um, all the logistics are running a company, so inventory management and supply chain and HR and all those fun things. Oh, yeah, there's no shortage of uh, stories, I bet, on that side. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I like, I like aspects of it, not all of it. Um, I, I like building stuff. I like creating new things. I like working with people to successfully come together and create cool things. Um, I like managing the projects. I don't love the logistical side of business. Uh, but unfortunately, the business doesn't run without it. So <laughs> someone has to do it. So I hire people who are experts at specific things, and I have to handle everything else. Maybe it'll get easier when it gets bigger and you can offload that to someone else. That would be great. Yeah. So I'll, I look forward to you know having bigger budgets and uh, being able to have full-time production managers and inventory managers and maybe an HR person, a legal staff, and all that stuff. Yeah. I look forward to that day. Sweet. Well, that... All that talk brings us, I think, to uh, our next question. Yeah, this P3. This is yeah. the this kind of the technology of, of all your boards and thought into this machine. And I've never played one yet. <laughs> but the way that Ryan talks about this, I mean, it, it almost seems like the natural progression of pinball and video games kind of gaming coming together. So do you want to just kind of go over what the P3 is, maybe how it's different, so we can kind of tell the listeners what it what it might be if they don't know what it is? Yeah, let me give you a two or three minute background and then I'll jump into the feature set. Um, I started the P-Rock because I wanted the P-Rock, that board we talked about earlier, because I wanted to um, turn a single themed pinball machine into a multi-themed or a multi-software rule machine. You have this machine that has all this complex circuitry and a playfield layout stuff. And to me, it seemed like a waste that every time I turned it on, it was the exact same game. So I created this board where you could add new rules to it and create new game content and do more cool things with it. The P3 is an extension of that. A P3 is a, we call it the P-Rock Pinball Platform, 
or you could call it a physical pinball platform because it's a machine, a pinball machine, with aspects of it that are entirely modular. For instance, uh, this machine has the rear third of the playfield, so the farthest third away from the flippers, is literally a physical module. So it's got ramps and loops and targets and toys and a game theme on it, but you can very quickly disconnect four connectors, two latches, and lift the entire playfield module out of the machine, store it in a box, grab a different one, and stick it in the machine. And when you turn the machine back on, it's an entirely new game. So you can swap out physical shot layouts, physical themed playfield modules. And it also has the lower two-thirds of the playfield is essentially a touchscreen display. It, we call it interactive and dynamic artwork. Because instead of this painted piece of wood, where normally the ball is rolling across as it moves from the flippers to physical objects closer to the back of the machine, ours is a dynamic display. And it's interactive in the sense that the ball can interact with the graphics on the screen, just like your finger would on an iPad. So we've integrated this dynamic lower dynamic and interactive lower portion of the playfield, a modular physical shot layout in the upper portion of the playfield. And together, those combine to deliver any number of gaming styles and gaming presentations that you could think of. And in essence, what I think we've created is the pinball, the physical pinball equivalent to that video game console, that one machine, many games concept delivered in a single machine to which you can add different content which is totally amazing listeners <laughs> let me tell you so jerry i guess a quick question that i had was what inspired the designer the idea of the p3 i mean there's one thing in particular i can think of i won't say it you might already know what i'm talking about but was there anything particularly that kind of maybe was a inspiration to the, the P3? I'm actually curious to hear what that thing is because no, there really wasn't um, or isn't. The, the, the P3 <laughs> was originally my idea. I wanted to create this, this, um, this machine that have interactive lower playfield artwork because in my mind, the physical ball as it's rolling across a piece of wood, it, it's a waste of an opportunity. And if you watch the progression of pinball um, over the course of a few decades, you'll see that as machines matured or as generations of machines were developed, people would add more and more lights to the playfield. So they started with just a few lights, and there are more, and there are more. And if you look at modern machines coming out these days, there's 100 lights or 150 lights or even more in modern machines, in a couple modern machines. And what they're essentially doing is creating more and more and more pixels that would otherwise be in a display. So I like to joke that the P3 in the lower half of the playfield has 2 million, uh, two million rollover RGB lights. <laughs> two, 2 million rollover switches that are also RGB lit. Because essentially that's what it is. It's 2 million pixels in a high-definition display that the ball can also interact with. So no, there wasn't really any source of a single source of inspiration or a desire to create 
um, something. It was just an idea to make better use of that um, painted piece of wood. And honestly, the modularity, the stuff in the back third of the playfield that's modular now, that was more of a, well, crap, we have this cool thing in the front half, but that's going to get old if we can't also change up what's in the back half. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so what I was talking about specifically is uh, the PIN 2000 system. Okay. Um, I mean, it obviously is not the same, but um, I will tell you that I have a, a, a special soft spot for it because <laughs> I think it was really ahead of its time. Uh, and it did not catch on at all. And it truly crushes me, uh, knowing that like on a daily basis, because it was really cool. Uh, and it yeah. did have parts of what your machine has, obviously not to the same extent whatsoever. Um, but I really did like when I owned one, I owned both of the play fields and eventually got a spare prism card and, you know, did the whole swap and it maybe took 10 minutes and it was a whole bunch of fussing around and, um, Ever since I had gotten rid of that, um, I won't say that I missed the the struggle of trying to swap playfields and prism cards and daughter boards and uh, ROMs and everything else that you ultimately ended up having to change because it was not as sexy as it initially sounded, you know, like in your head. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, this will be easy. And it wasn't. Um, but that was something that definitely attracted me to the P3 was having that soft spot for um, kind of a modular game that had a different type of interactive feature that uh, we've never seen in a pinball machine, I just found very exciting. I, um, I agree with that. And Pinball 2000 is, is super cool. Um, I don't know that it didn't catch on so much as Williams decided they could make more money doing other things. I mean, it sold a good number of machines. It probably would have been successful in terms of pinball sales if they had kept doing it. But yeah. the technology in there was, especially for the time it came out, was really impressive. The, the ability to interact with graphics with a physical pinball in that, that projection-based um, system, super impressive. And knowing what I know about how we implemented ours and the challenges we had to overcome to implement it, it's, it's really neat to look and see that, what was it, 12 years before we even prototype the p3 they were doing something that was visually super impressive yeah so that was that was what i thought maybe you had borrowed some of it from and that's why i had asked that question yeah um, interesting no in fact it's it's almost a byproduct or a coincidence that there were two things that were similar when i look at pinball 2000 there are a few things that i very intentionally chose not to do um, in my mind, Pinball 2000 took the physical implementation of Pinball, all the shots, the ramps and loops and targets and things, and they they basically turned off the lights on them. So they they minimize the impact of the, the presence of the physical stuff, and they project this image in front of those shots to give you something to shoot at, to give you something cool to interact with. But in my mind, they're, they're creating an environment where you're interacting more with the virtual and less of the physical. They minimize the impact of the physical. So I very specifically didn't want to do that. I wanted to take the virtual, this stuff that we put in front of the physical, to enhance it. 
to give the ball something to do, to give the player more things to um, immerse them and more things to aim for and more things to do as the ball was rolling towards physical things. So let's enhance the physical rather than uh, reduce the impact of the physical. That's kind of how I attacked it. Yeah. I mean, you did an amazing job. And I, I can safely say this is one of the few pinballs that I could never see a set of uh, pin stadiums on because <laughs> the lighting is already perfect in it. I do not think there's ever going to be <laughs> a, a module or anything else that would require uh, pin stadiums because it is very well lit. You can see all of your shots. Um, like I said, it's probably the most well-lit pinball game out there that's, in a very real sense. That's cool to nice. hear. You know what's really interesting about that to me is when when people stream it, when I tried to stream it, uh, the LCD in the play field, it blows out the camera. So then the camera adjusts to the light in the play field and it makes everything else look super dark. So people who are watching streams see this thing with the, the play field LCD in a super dark upper playfield area and they think there's no lighting on it so, so it's 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 good and it's also funny for me to hear you say that it's super well lit because if you watch streams and videos it it doesn't look that way on camera i don't know i my my super dark basement with no windows uh is a blast to have all the lights off <laughs> and maybe the the cool lighting of a few uh, neon signs down in my basement plans some um, of my P3. And oh, that's awesome. There's not a shot on it that I can't see. Awesome. <laughs> how did you, um, how did you hear about the P3? How did you get, how did you know you wanted one? So, yeah, uh, that's actually a really good question. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, listeners go ahead and, uh, you know, pop a squat. Um, so, <laughs> It's actually partially due to the fact, as I had said earlier, uh, in relations to the Pin 2000. I, I really liked the pseudo-modular design that they had to where you could swap things out. Now, again, as I would said before, in practice, it wasn't as sexy as it was in the idea phase. Yeah. Um, and actually, Parnell had been one of the individuals who, after I got rid of my pin 2000 combo setup who had been like you know have you looked into a p3 and immediately i started looking into it and i was like you know this seriously looks really cool um and i i guess you know we can get on to one of the topics but man is pinball opinionated and yeah. man do a lot of people have opinions about machines that they've never actually played uh or they've played very few times and and walk away from claiming that they've played it a bunch and they know everything and you know their opinion is is law and that's just it um because there definitely were people that i spoke to that had really glowing things to say about the p3 and then there were also people that did not have as glowing reviews to say about it so, I mean, at the time, I'd never played one. And uh, obviously, um, you know, for quite a while, it was just kind of this internal conflict where I really, really liked it. Um, and what ended up happening was there was one that popped up local for sale. And uh, 
I jumped at it. I mean, you can ask Parnell. The, the moment I found out about it, I was like, I got to get this. Like, I don't care what this guy wants. I don't care what he says. I'm I'm going to get this machine, and that's just the end of it. Awesome. Having um, having never played it? Yeah, having never played wow. it. Wow, awesome. Yep. Um, just because, you know, uh, there were a few people that I spoke to, and I don't know if I should name their names, but I guess I will. Uh, Kevin at Buffalo Pinball. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to him and he had nothing but amazing glowing reviews to say about it. Yeah, and but that's because we pay him. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We, we do not, we do not pay Kevin. Kevin. I, I know you don't. Okay. <laughs> and you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually did some digging on Kevin, right? And you very well know, uh, you guys had lended him a machine, right? Uh, but then he sold that machine underneath like his pin side handle. Yeah. So when I actually contacted him, I was like, all right, Kevin, I'm like, let's cut the BS buddy. How do you have, how do you have a second P3 and why did you get rid of the first one? And he's like, ah, I did not own the first one. <laughs> the first one was on lease. Yeah. He said the second one I purchased myself, uh, at full price. <laughs> so, when he said that, I think that was like the, the 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 final tipping point. Like I I knew I wanted this in my basement because I knew a lot of the technology that was there. I had no idea just how much of it was there, uh, but I knew a lot of it was there, and I knew how much I liked the Pin Two Thousand. And I said, "Well, it definitely can't be worse than that, <laughs> and it looks a heck of a lot cooler." So it just seemed like a win win at that point, and uh, I've loved it. Yeah, great. Um, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, I need to, uh, I guess, pass along a thank you to Kevin, too, because, you know, I wonder how many people think that he bought the P3 and sold it, and they think he didn't like it because of that. If they weren't watching his streams, which after I spoke to him, I found the stream where he was talking about how it was a leased machine, and you guys were looking to to move it on to its new home, because uh, Kevin had hogged it long enough. <laughs> um you know, if people didn't see that episode, the way it kind of looks is Kevin had owned a P3, he sold it, and then he got another one. And it was like, mm, well, okay, hold on. Like, what what changed, right? Yeah. Uh, at least that's what my digging had found. But like I said, after speaking with Kevin and uh, almost as soon as I had bought the machine and you had reached out to me and then i had spoken to kevin again and said hey i got a p3 and he's like man you need to check out the discord p3 owners uh you know we'll we'll do some multi multiplayer like cosmic kart racing like this is gonna be great and once i joined in there i just felt a sense of community that uh i'll be 100 percent honest i have not felt in a long time oh wow like in my personal non-pinball including uh kind of uh, parts of my life. So that was genuinely really awesome. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about the people that are P3 fans. They're, they're great. That's, and I'm excited for there to be more. Well, that's one thing I want, uh, wanted to key in on. One of the things you said um, is one reason, uh, how should I say, people that sold their machines, people that got rid of their machines, there's always new games coming out for the P3. So even the person who sold their machine to you, maybe they sold it because they didn't like 
whatever game. It didn't have enough staying power uh, for them. Six months from now, a year from now, one month from now, we come up with new content. There's going to be new mini games, and then there'll be a new play field, and then there'll be a new whatever. And every time we come out with something, it's a potential reason for someone to either buy it for the first time or someone who got rid of it. It's a whole new thing for them to get into again. So one interesting thing about the P3 is that it's not something that you make a judgment on and then decide to buy it or decide to rule it out forever because the content's constantly evolving and the value proposition of the machine is constantly growing. Yeah, in in the short time that I've already owned it, I'm already chomping at the bit for you to come out with your next module. So <laughs> we'll try to keep this podcast short, so hopefully you can get back to making that module sooner. <laughs> yes, we. I mean, that's one of the things I love to do, make, make those new things. It just, man, it takes forever to make a game. You do have a video on your YouTube. I think it's like maybe some concepts of different, even lower to middle sections where there's different flipper layouts and pop bumpers. Do you think those are still on some sort of roadmap? So one of the things that we talk about a lot is people out there who have made judgments or decided the P3 is something. They've made their their opinion about it. They base that on what they saw originally, and they have a list of things. I didn't like the P3 because it didn't have any physical stuff lower on the play field. Or I didn't like it because... Um, it only had one traditional game and one redemption-style game. Well, everyone has this list, and we're constantly fighting against you know, roadmap items and ideas and game content ideas to make sure we continually knock things off of that list. If you didn't like it a year ago, we want you to like it now because we got rid of things or we added things to remove those concerns from your list. So one of the biggest feedbacks we've gotten over the years from people who um, didn't buy it is that they want more physical stuff lower on the playfield. So if you have played Heist or seen Heist, you know that Heist has this um, three-axis, uh, very complex, very diverse or versatile mechanism that extends itself lower on the play field and moves around and you can shoot it with the ball you can bash into the target it has an rgb lit face and it also has a magnet where it can pick up balls and move them around and do cool stuff lower on the play field so that was the first mechanism that we developed that brought the action closer to the player um, what you're talking about these things in the videos are for example pop bumpers near the flippers or uh, other crisscrossing wireform type things and places where you can shoot the ball lower on the play field. Um, so some of those are concepts that are way out on the roadmap and some of those are things we're working on right now. And ultimately we want to keep bringing the action closer to the player and doing cool new things that make every new game different from the one before it. It was uh, when I saw, so I, I didn't even see that until Ryan showed it to me. Friday, but I remember when Heist dropped, I was so freaking jazzed, and uh, that upper um, arm was just amazing. I remember watching the first couple streams uh, on your announcement, and be, oh, man, that blew me away. Because uh, we'll have to, I'll have to link a video of it in the show notes. But when it comes out, drops down, 
and then it could even be holding a ball or not. And then it's also a bash toy. Goes in and out, up and down. It's uh-huh. like the Ghostbusters premium Slimer on crack, kind of. <laughs> but better. Well, and I, I can, I can mention one thing. It's even cooler in person. Seriously, <laughs> uh, and I am shocked at how quiet it is. Uh, the only crane experience I have, I need to preface that. The only crane experience I have on a play field is Last Action Hero, and that crane is a. <clears throat> Not quiet. Is it loud? I think that's the one crane that I've heard people talk about that I haven't ever played. Mm. Uh, so the crane's very loud. That motor is anything but quiet. <laughs> and, of course, the whole machine shakes with the shaker motor the entire time it's moving. Uh, so, I mean, uh, it was, uh, I mean, like not even the same league. So I went from having only played one game with the crane to playing the the heist p3 with the crane and i was like holy crap like this is so cool i i I find it funny because a lot of people say a lot of people have the misconception that the p3 is a video game because because so much of the play field is a virtual uh canvas they see videos of it or something and a lot of videos are from the top down and it's hard to make out the 3D components. It's hard to see that it's a lot of physical entities. So they think the P3 is this virtual platform, kind of like virtual pinball. And we're heavily focused on delivering super cool physical experiences. We're all about doing cool things with the balls. You've played Now Heist and Cosmic Heart Racing, and some of the things we do in Cosmic Heart Racing are... Uh, magnetic manipulation of the physical pinball up the ramps and holding on to them and accelerating them and ricocheting balls into each other. It's, it's so much of pinball is about the physical experience that we're, we're really focused on delivering cool factor, wow factor um, in the physical realm. Lexi Lightspeed has a, an eight ball physical ball lock in the spaceship that you could shoot balls into. It spins around. You could shoot more balls into it. You can get up to eight balls into it. And then, yeah, Heist has that crane. It's, it's all about doing cool things, um, cool physical things. We all play pinball because it's a physical experience, and we, we want to enhance that with cool toys and cool mechs. And, um, it's nice to hear you react that way to it, both of you, um, just based on the movie and, or the video and then in real life. It, it, it kind of validates the whole emphasis we put on the physical aspect of pinball. And yeah, we to your point about the the videos with the the other mechs, it's something we want to continue focusing on. And we don't want to be someone who just kind of phones it in and makes a game and minimizes the risk and minimizes the design time because you ship this thing and um, you don't want to put any um, complex stuff in it because you're afraid it's going to break on location. I think the correct answer oh. is to design the cool stuff and just make sure you design it well enough that it doesn't constantly break on location. Yeah. And you know, to that end, um, I do have to mention, so I've gotten to play heist. Uh, I have Lexi Lightspeed and I have cosmic cart racing and they are all so uniquely different that it really does feel like I'm playing three separate games, especially in the way that you innovate as far as, how everything interacts with you while you're playing the game. Um, Each game has a very specific, distinct play style. Um, And Cosmic Kart Racing with your magnet manipulation, 
holy crap. I nearly pooed myself the first time <laughs> I got to see that ball kick up and then kick up again and disappear and then pop out and a magnet catch it. And then it sling it up the ramp towards me. Yeah. Um, that was some of the coolest stuff ever. And then when I saw the next game I played uh, was, oh gosh, what map is it? I think it's power. Uh, help me out here. It's the one where you have one ball that's just being held by the magnet constantly. Oh yeah. Particle accelerator. Particle accelerator. Thank you. Uh, where it catches a ball throws it down to the bottom one, and then it tosses it up to the very top one and then holds it there, and you have to continuously, like, knock it. It's the coolest thing I have seriously ever seen, and that's just one of the three amazing modules that I have. And then, you know, with um, Cosmic Kart Racing specifically, because um, I can talk about it, um, it has Ranger in the Ruins, which, yep. I mean, is its own game that's roguelike. <laughs> so i mean it, it really is uh mind-numbingly crazy all of the different things that are packed into this and, and uh, by the way that ranger in the ruins game was not developed by us at multimorphic it so, so, so one thing we haven't talked about is this platform in the same vein as a nintendo or a sony playstation or something we've made it an open platform system, we've released a development kit for it to allow other people to create game content. And one of our customers, Nick Baldridge, he's a, he's a super creative uh, guy who has lots of ideas and loves to create games. He developed Ranger in the Ruins on his own time, on his own dime, and he released it in our store. And it's amazing. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you about that. Did you always think you wanted... Maybe an app store or game store, like kind of what you're either at right now or going toward. Yeah. So as soon as we decided this was going to be a multi-game system, it only makes sense to make it um, something that other people can create content for. Um, and it's a win-win situation, right? The more people who make content for the machine, the more people who are going to find content they enjoy and buy the machine. And the more people who buy the machine build a bigger community of users and a potential bigger market for more people to create games. So it kind of snowballs it. It builds on itself. Um, so the concept just makes sense. So as soon as we decided it was going to be a multi-game platform, we had to figure out how to integrate a game store, an app store, if you will, to make it possible for people to um, create games and make them available for others. Yeah, and I seriously am still shocked at um, just how much time uh, some of these individuals are, are pouring into as far as time and love and effort into some of these uh, third-party games that you guys have. Um, yeah. You know, in... You've seen now probably, I mean, outside of the P3, what we talked about earlier with the maker community building custom pinball games and um, there are, I think, 300 people in our Slack channel now, our pinball development Slack channel, where they all talk about um, their ideas and they help each other um, talk through how to build whatever features they want to and how to integrate the boards and the software frameworks and all that stuff. But one nice thing about the P3 for that community is people can jump in without having to find a cabinet and build their own play field and... Uh, design and integrate their entire control system and write the software framework or write on top of the software framework. 
to create their new game. The P3 is a fully working machine with fully working games that other developers can just use, leverage, and add content to it. So even while you're creating your own game, you can just go through the, the app carousel or drop in another play field and play something entirely different. So it's, it's a way for people that want to create pinball games to jump in very quickly and easily. Obviously, it's not super cheap. It's, it's a fairly expensive machine, so that's the barrier to entry. But, but people who generally start and build their own machine from the ground up are spending years doing it before they even get to the point where they can flip the ball. Yeah, and I guess that kind of leads me sort of into my next question for you. So your playfield manufacturing, um, you know, besides the fact that they largely don't have dimples because most of it's plexiglass, which is amazing, um, you still do uh, traditional playfield manufacturing up at the top third, correct? Yes. There's, um, I guess the question that I have is, is there anything different that you're experimenting with or doing uh, up there that some of the other manufacturers aren't? Um, because obviously, as I said before, I have not seen any dimpling on any of the play fields that I have. Um, again, largely due to the fact that if there's going to be an air ball or something to that extent, it's all going to be on the lower two thirds section, which is plexiglass. Right. And that's not going to dimple. So, so <laughs> y what you just said is the important point. Uh, a lot of dimpling, a lot of play field damage comes from the ball catching air, either hitting a target and bouncing back towards the lower portion of the play field. Or if you did a super slow-mo on, on the ball coming off of a flipper, the flipper doesn't just push it completely horizontally along the play field. It gives it a little air. So the ball bounces up the play field. Even at super high speed, it's bouncing up the play field and creating little marks and things. Um, the, the bottom two-thirds, as you said, of our play field is polycarbonate. It's a super durable plastic clear plastic that protects the, the display surface. Um, and we don't have to worry as much as traditional pinball machines do at the top of the play field. Um, we don't have to worry too much about dimpling up there because of the same reason that, that balls aren't generally bouncing around up there. Um, currently, we're structured, we, we set up our whole business to create new game content that's a lot less expensive than a traditional pinball machine. Yes, buying into the platform is expensive, is expensive because you need the whole, the whole system. You need the machine and the flippers and the legs and the back box and the control system and the LCDs and the, all the, uh, the walls and scoops that we haven't talked about that pop up and down in the middle of the play field and those kind of things. But we want to be able to add game content, whether it's a mini game that's software only or a full game kit with a new play field layout and everything else for a lot less than you would buy a traditional pinball machine for. So a new game from us, if you have a P3 and want to get the new game, which currently is Heist, or you have Heist and you want to add some of the uh, previous games to your collection, Lexi Lightspeed or Cosmic Kart Racing or Cannon Lagoon, you can do that for $2,500, or Heist is $2,750. Cannon Lagoon is $1,500. Um, so we're focused on creating these really cool gaming experiences for a lot less money. Um, along the lines of your question, that means we don't spend a ton of money. We're not going to go and create a, a $500 uh, P3 
painted and clear coated piece of wood and then start attaching all the things on it because then it would when you, when you attach all the devices to it and the ball locks and the magnets and everything else it's it's going to be a four or five thousand dollar thing so our upper play fields currently are um they're not clear coated they're just decals on top of the play field and the first reaction people have when they hear me say that is generally oh well they skimped on the upper play field because um uh, the the industry now has moved towards painted things that are clear coated to protect the surface but as we just discussed we don't really have to focus that much on protecting that surface cuz the ball isn't that damaging to the upper portion of a playfield so currently our upper playfields are decaled pieces of wood with traditional style inserts and um, overlays and those kind of things I can't say for sure whether or not we're going to stick with that or we might move towards a, a plastic-covered surface in the future or a clear-coated thing, depending on costs and volumes and things. But um, currently, that's the difference. Our lower portion is fully protected. Our upper portion is cost-effective. Yeah, and I, like, as, as I had said before, I haven't seen anything weird going on Uh no pooling issues. No pooling <laughs> issues. Uh, so that's been super nice. And, and no weird printing issues. Like uh, one of my play fields down in my basement, I've been waiting 10 months to get fixed. So um, that's definitely a huge bonus for me is, uh, I guess, you know, everything that I've seen thus far, uh, including the fact that, you know, I purchased a secondhand P3, these things are holding up great, and that's super awesome. Um, yeah, so that's that's good to hear. I don't I don't know if uh, um, I don't know how many how many plays were put on it, but we have machines in our factory that have been to shows for three or four or five years and have twenty thousand plays on them. That they get dirty, but you wipe them off with Novus Two and they're clean again. They don't show a lot of wear, unless. There, there's one play, our Cannon Lagoon playfield, if you put it on location because there's a ball, there, there are scoops that kick out the ball, and as it kicks out the ball, the ball hits the surface of the playfield. So those types of things like that will develop way over time. But when you're shooting balls up into the playfield, um, they're going to last almost forever. I, I did want to ask about that because, um, one, if you had a customer that told you like they had a crazy amount of plays or even put their game on route, but I think... There was also an announcement, I don't this is probably years ago, but I think you had some games at a Dave and Buster's down by you? Yes, that is right. Is that also a good like play testing and also uh trying to get your maybe some redemption style games going? Was that a good test for you guys? So yeah, it was a great test, not just for us, but also for pinball in general, because it showed how a popular location getting a lot of play can earn super well, even with a pinball machine. Um, and I say that knowing that our machines are not there anymore, but uh, let, me give, let me give the history of Dave and Buster's and the P3, um, even before that, actually. So we put machines on location at a couple of different places as what we call our test facilities. Um, so we used to put a machine in Buffalo Billiards, which is in downtown Austin, and that's where we would test out new games and um, get a lot of feedback, get a lot of play on them. It would generate revenue for the facility, and we would get all the uh, all the feedback we needed on our games. Um, Dave and Buster's was a completely different opportunity. Um, we didn't actually seek out Dave and Buster's. We had 
Cosmic Kart Racing, four machine networked head-to-head Cosmic Kart Racing. That's four P3s all sitting next to each other, all talking to each other, allowing people to play against each other um, at the Texas Pinball Festival a couple years ago. And a representative from Dave & Buster saw the machines there, and he found me, and he said, you know what, we pulled pinball out of Dave & Buster's years ago because it's not competitive. And what he meant by competitive was that you can't play against someone. Um, When you play a multiplayer pinball game, you're each taking turns. You're not really playing against that person, at least not in a head-to-head fashion. And he was really intrigued by the fact that just like a uh, a sit-down car racing game, you you could get two people on two different pinball machines and literally race against each other or play against each other. So that's what intrigued him. Um, we talked over the course of a few months, and he agreed to get a couple machines on location at the Austin facility. Um, we put, we started with the game called Heads Up, which is a game designed for the Cannon Lagoon playfield, where you have two P3s sitting next to each other. The Cannon Lagoon playfield has. It's a very simplistic layout. It's intended to be a redemption-style game where you just shoot into one of five shot lanes. It eats the ball. It does something on the screen or something. And it, 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 it Cannon Lagoon specifically, you're shooting at uh, ships that are sailing back and forth across the screen. Um, you shoot a, one of the shot lanes, and you either hit or miss a ship. And that's kind of the extent of the game, though it's got a lot more depth than that. It's got multiple levels and stuff. But anyway, um, this playfield layout is fairly simplistic and allows us to create these redemption-style experiences. So we built software on top of that playfield that we called Heads Up, which was super simple. Uh, we would light all of these shot lanes um, red or green. And if you shot a green shot lane, it would give you points and kick the ball back out to you. And if you shot a red shot lane, it would take your ball, turn it into little atoms, and zap those atoms to the other machine, and reconstitute a pinball, and kick it out at the other player. And of course, I'm joking about the physics, but um, the ball would go into one machine, and it would appear to come out on the other machine. We call them portals. So (laughs) literally, this entire game, you're either shooting green shots or you're shooting red shots. And when you shoot red shots, the other player gets your ball. So you do better in this game, obviously, by shooting the green shots, keeping all the balls, hoping your opponent is screwing up and hitting red shots and giving you more of the balls. Um, We put this on location at Dave & Buster's, and it earned more than any other location pinball machine I've ever seen or ever heard about. (laughs) the numbers are really that impressive. Um, However, pinball numbers pale in comparison to redemption machine numbers, especially in a location like Dave & Buster's where people bring their families and their kids are playing the redemption-style kitty gambling games and cranes and all those things. So uh, the the pinball numbers didn't stack up to some of the higher-performing redemption games. But... The pinball numbers were so good there that, in my opinion, if anyone has a family style of entertainment center, an FEC or a, an arcade where families are welcome and kids are welcome and they want to set up two machines like a P3 with this heads-up game on it, I would be almost willing to guarantee it's going to outperform every other pinball machine there. 
That is awesome to hear. I don't know if I've probably seen it, but I, when I was um, looking up the different play fields when uh, Ryan got his, the um, is it called Grand Slam? Grand Slam Rally. Yeah. My gosh. I uh, I have this like weird love for those pitching bats, and uh, I think that game is on that play field, and uh, I was pretty curious. Yeah. I don't think I've seen gameplay of it yet, but I was pretty curious how that one played, and then Ryan keeps telling me my children. I have two little kids, and they would yeah, love Barnyard. No, see, Parnell's, Parnell's fluffing it. Barnyard would be for him. That <laughs> would be uh, for his kids. <laughs> That'd be a simple game for him to be able to play that he'd be able to be good at. Uh, <laughs> Barnyard. Barnyard was obviously a, a demo game we made for families so that when, when the when the the pinball fan, the adult pinball fan, brings home this machine. He's also able to convince his kids that there's fun content for them on it as well and justify the purchase to his family. But um, <laughs> Grand Slam Rally was another third-party developed pinball game. It was actually the first one. Uh, a friend of ours owns a company he calls 86 Pixels, and he does a lot of work for a lot of different companies. He's, he's super talented, and he wanted to create his own game for the P3. He was a big fan of uh, a lot of pitch and bet style games, and he developed exactly that. It it really does stay true to the pitch and bet style of gameplay, but it's implemented on this high tech platform called the P3. You know, I guess another question that I have for you was: Have there been, and I don't think that there is, but has there been any limitations you've noticed thus far in the toys integration? you know, as far as working with this platform. Um, again, I, I really can't think of any because you have some of the, I think, the most innovative and interesting toys. But uh, still, it's a fair question to ask. There are interesting physical challenges when you design anything on any platform, but especially the P3 because... The way the lower playfield works, the way we track the ball on the surface of the playfield isn't isn't that it's not a touchscreen. It's not actually a touchscreen display because the ball can't come into contact with the display, or else it would it would destroy it. So as we discussed before, it has a piece of polycarbonate. It's actually a quarter inch thick piece of polycarbonate on top of the display, and. Just above that, we have a surface or a, a set of infrared light beams. We have infrared emitters and detectors lined up across the sides of the machine. And they send light across, and when the ball rolls around, it breaks that light. So that's technically how the touchscreen works. But in order to allow that light to shine above the surface of the playfield, we can't have things protruding through that surface, right? We can't mount a flipper such that it touches the surface of the playfield or goes through the playfield because it would block beams of light. And oh, by the way, there's a, an LCD there, so you can't drill a hole through an LCD anyway. But even if you could, you don't want things going through the surface of the playfield because it would block that light, which we're using to track the ball. So the entire lower two-thirds of the playfield has physical components on it that we say they're floating. They're all mounted in such a way that they 
float above the surface of the playfield. So for example, the flippers and the slingshots are these mechanisms that are actuated from above the surface and they, you know, they flip the ball by rotating around a, uh, a shaft that's mounted above the surface of the playfield and the flipper bat sits a quarter inch above that surface, allowing that light to shine underneath the flipper bat as you're, as you're playing. Um, everything in the lower two-thirds is floating above the surface. We don't have anything touching or anywhere near that surface. So you can imagine that that creates some interesting design challenges for our mechanical engineers. So a lot of the things you saw in that video that you referenced a while ago with floating mechanisms and, and new, new things lower on the playfield, um, those all have to be designed in different ways than you design a traditional mech, like a pop bumper. A pop bumper generally has a big hole in the playfield where the, the, uh, the ring is pulled down by a coil so that it pushes the ball into the surface of the playfield, and that's what gives you the, the rebound effect from hitting a pop bumper. Well, we can't do that because we can't drill holes through our play field and we can't mount things that get in the way of the light. So there are lots of interesting challenges. I don't think there's anything that we feel like we can't create. The trick is we have to think about them and create them differently than they, they would exist in a traditional play field. And what I mean by that is um, if you think about like a scoop, um, a lot of games have this hole in the surface of the play field. You shoot the ball, it goes into the hole, the, the thing holds onto it, and then software things happen, and you see stuff on the screen, and then it kicks the ball back out. Well, we obviously can't cut that big hole into the play field and have a thing mounted underneath it that does that. But what we can do is have something that's mounted above the play field. The ball can hit a curved piece of metal or something, and go upwards away from the play field, and we can have a little latching mechanism in that thing that holds onto the ball for a moment, or however long we want it to, and then we can release that latch and the ball can flow back out onto the play field surface. So essentially we can have upwards moving scoops instead of downwards moving scoops. Um, you, you can apply that kind of thought process to every mech you can probably conceive of and I bet we can figure out a way to do it on the P3 it just it just needs more time and more R&D and uh, I guess some more uh, more team members to help us build all these things and get them into games well if I live down there you know I'd be there but when you need another tech support guy you hit me up you know what I promise I'll read the manual <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have never been short on volunteers to help, which is really cool. It's a, it's a testament to the platform. It's just most people also need to have day jobs, which sometimes get in the way of progress. Well, and so I guess this, this, is, this is a good question that I came up with. And uh, you know, obviously the beginning of it's obviously in jest. But uh, when did you decide to fill your games with lead? <laughs> because, oh, my God. Jerry, this is the heaviest pinball I've ever moved. Now, it is also the sturdiest pinball I've ever moved. And my goodness, is it pretty awesome to work on and be able to pull the play field up. And, I mean, there's a lot of innovation that you guys have done, obviously, with the floating flipper mechs, where it's less than two minutes and I can have 
the flippers and the slings out on a workbench and work on them and rebuild them or do whatever I need to do, which yeah. is super cool. Uh, but just how heavy do your pinballs weigh? <laughs> my back says about a hundred million tons. A hundred million, <laughs> not quite. It's close. But so yep. the P3 is not the heaviest pinball machine out there. It's not the the heaviest new pinball machine out there. Um, it weighs about well. It depends on what playfield you have in it, I guess. Because with Lexi or Cosmic Kart Racing or Cannon Lagoon, they all weigh about the same. It's 330 pounds. Uh, Heist adds another 15 pounds, I believe, to that. So you're more at 345 or 350. But you know why it's heavy. If you, if you start to take it apart, you see all the stuff that goes into it, right? It's got... Um, a few examples. It's got obviously the Playfield LCD in it. Uh, a quarter inch piece of polycarbonate on top of that. That's pretty heavy. It's got the floating flipper assemblies. That's pretty heavy. Um, but even bigger, it has this wall scoop assembly that I mentioned earlier, which has six individual scoops that pop up across the width of the Playfield, just beyond the LCD and just in front of the Playfield module. And just in front of those, it's got six what we call walls, which are basically these thick pieces of RGB lit plastic that can pop up and down in front of the scoops. And every single one of those, all 12 of those components have a coil. And there's, uh, you know, bracket, brackets and sheet metal and wiring and circuit boards and stuff all associated with just that module. Behind oh, yeah. that module is our ball trough. Our ball trough... Unlike other machines that have the ball trough at the front of the machine, just under the drain, our ball trough is actually at the back of the machine. So when a ball rolls down the drain, it actually rolls into a tube that funnels it all the way to the back of the machine. That, um, at the end of the tube, there's a coil that pops it up into a ball trough. And that ball trough can hold 12 balls, 15 balls, 20 balls, really however many you want to put in it. And it's got eight launch coils underneath of it so you can literally launch the ball from any position all the way across the surface of the play field so you start adding up all these mechanisms the wall scoop module probably weighs 50 pounds the the trough assembly probably weighs 20 pounds the lcd probably weighs 20 pounds the cabinet probably weighs 100 pounds it's it's a it's a heavy machine but it's heavy because it's got a lot of really cool stuff in it Oh yeah, no, I I wasn't uh, trying to detract from that. I was just, uh, man, I tell you what, I've moved quite a few machines, and uh, this was a heavy one. <laughs> yeah, and we also now, I'm sure the machine you bought because I think, I think that machine was built after we made the transition to put a full high definition display also in the back box. That is correct. So I had that too. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it is amazing build quality, though. And and like I was saying, mentioning earlier, the the ways that you've gone about some of the different processes as far as to work on the machine and take it apart are really awesome. Um, I hope my machine doesn't have many issues down the road, but I do feel very confident that it's as easy, if not easier, to work on than. Uh, a lot of the other machines out there just based on how uh, it really does feel like uh, 
you weren't just an engineer that was engineering something for the sake of it. <laughs> uh, you know, m- car mechanics, you know, famously hate engineers, car and en- automotive engineers, because they seem to make everything as hard as they possibly can for the mechanic. <laughs> and, um, having owned many pinball machines, there's definitely been some things where I've been like, you've got to be kidding me as far as when you're trying to work on something yeah. and everything that I've seen in your game, again, I hope I never have any issues. Uh, I presumably won't, but I know if I do, um, everything's really easy to get to, which is probably one of the coolest things. Um, it's, it's seriously impressive and, and refreshing to have that experience where, I mean, Pinballs, they can break. That's that's part of it. Uh, I don't yeah. think that there's a pinball machine that's immune to it, minus one that's never turned on and doesn't have batteries in it. Uh, but outside of that, um, they're going to break. And I feel really confident in um, if something does break, I know that I'm going to be able to get to it and I'm going to be able to fix it. And that's not something I can say with some of the other titles that I've owned in my basement. Well, I think one difference is that we designed this with consumers in mind. Uh, the market's shifted, obviously, dramatically in the last 15 or 20 years from locations to people's homes. Um, so now we're competing with consumer electronics and other things that consumers don't have to maintain. So, yes, as you said, pinball pinballs are physical things that can and will break or have issues over time, but it was important to us to make sure that either um, someone who's inclined to can easily pull out the flipper assembly or a playfield module and work on it at their leisure. Uh, we like to say, you don't take your soldering iron to the machine, you take parts of the machine to your soldering iron. Um, uh, that's a little, little joke. Obviously, uh, hopefully you're not having to use a soldering iron at all, but um, the modularity is important to us for that reason. But also, if you're not mechanically inclined at all and you don't want to fix something, say you have an issue with a flipper or a playfield module, you can just take it out of the machine, send it to us, we'll fix it, repair it, refurbish it, replace it, whatever, send it back to you, and you can just drop it into the machine and, and get back on your merry way enjoying it. So that, that was really important to us. Yeah, and, you know... I still can't believe this, and we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but I I don't know if you're, I'm pretty sure you're the first and only uh, commercial machine that has one of the coolest features in pinball. I can go online and play against other people. Mm-hmm. And you don't charge for that service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made a joke um, to... Uh, you know, the other individuals I was playing with over Discord, I said, you know, I, I better not tell Jerry uh, how amazing this is <laughs> because if he knows and he knows how badly I would want this implemented in like all of the games, um, I would pay money for this. Like this is seriously, especially right now in the times we're in, Yeah, it is so awesome to be able to play four player head to head cart racing with items and being able to EMP blast people and put up roadblocks where the, the scoops and walls that you spoke about a few moments ago, literally go up and block, uh, you know, two thirds of the shots that allow you to be able to continue to maintain or gain speed in the game, uh, unless you're making shots and using the in lanes correctly to build shields. I mean, it, it was seriously like 
one of the coolest moments in pinball for me, being able to do that. See, see, that's great to hear because you'll get on Pinside or something and you'll hear all these people say that networked pinball can't work because your machine is a little different from my machine. Therefore, it's not going to be fun. And then you go talk to everyone who's actually played it and you get an entirely different experience. It seems like everyone who's played it just has a blast playing against each other and doing all these cool features. And it doesn't matter that their machine might be, I don't know, a quarter of a degree more inclined or whatever than yours. It, it doesn't matter. You're just literally shooting the pinball, trying to hit shots and, and having fun playing a game. Yeah, no, I mean, I can definitely tell you that um, I'll leave names out this time. Some <laughs> of them have said that they didn't have as much angle as they would uh, normally <laughs> while playing online. Um, but yeah, it was seriously, I mean, I have a pretty aggressive angle and I didn't win a ton of races. I won some, and that was great. Um, but I didn't really care, like, regardless of where I got. Like, I was just genuinely having fun in a way that I haven't experienced in a long time. Uh, and that was really special. And you've implemented other things in your machines uh, on Cosmic Kart Racing. There's now a campaign mode. So, I mean, you sold a, a module that by itself had the arcade and the and now has the online co-op and then you're like you know what this one doesn't have quite enough i'm going to go ahead and put a whole other game <laughs> in it that's a full campaign and is actually like from what i can tell cuz i'm not good enough uh is really deep uh <laughs> that again uh you didn't charge for and i was shocked to see that too right cuz again i don't want to i don't want to give you too many ideas but uh holy moly i i can tell you right now that there's some other people that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> and if they had implemented any of these things, I, you bet your ass you would have been paying a pretty penny for it. Uh, so yeah, kudos to but you it's a, and your team. It's a different model. So our whole model is based on getting people to buy this machine that costs, uh, I guess it doesn't cost much more than an LE from another company but it costs more than your low-end model from a few companies but it's worth it when you consider all of the value that we add to it and we've talked about the price of games right you can add heist for 2750 or lexi lightspeed for 2500 and you can create these new gaming experiences but we want to continue to improve the value proposition of owning this machine and it's important for us. We're still a small company. We're still growing. We still want to get the machine into more people's homes so more people can enjoy it. It's important for us to continue to add these super cool features. We added, in addition to what you said last year, we added uh, USB and Bluetooth headset support also for free. So if you're in a home environment and you don't want to wake up your kid who's sleeping in the other room and let's ignore the mechanical noise that you, you can't avoid um, you can put in your headphones and enjoy the, the soundtracks and the audio um, quietly just for yourself uh, that works now through bluetooth as well so if you buy a it's like a ten dollar usb or a ten dollar bluetooth dongle from amazon stick it in the p3 
you can sync up headphones to the machine and enjoy your audio that way. So all these things, I mean, I'm sure someday uh, we'll come up with some features that just cost so much to develop that we'll have to charge for some aspects of them to, to get a return on the investment. But for now, we're all about just creating really cool experiences and making the machine um, the best value that you could possibly get in the pinball industry today. I feel pretty comfortable we've done that, but we still want to continue adding more and making sure that it's kind of a no-brainer when people look at two machines. Should I buy the P3 or should I buy this this new game from someone else? Hopefully, we're giving them a reason to focus on the P3. Okay, so this single-player card game add-on thing, do you uh, save progress or if you drain out, is the game over or is it kind of like you just keep going? Kind of like like a Mario Kart. So career mode, um, I don't know how to exactly to compare it, but let me just explain it real quick. So career mode for Cosmic Kart Racing is essentially an environment where you're... Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about arcade mode? Career mode, yeah. This like single-player kind of campaign. Yeah, okay. So you start career mode, and your whole objective is to become the Cosmic Kart Racing champion of the universe or whatever um you start and you choose a cart that cart has some parameters for acceleration and uh, i think it's got a top speed and an acceleration value and also a deceleration component you go through various modes and you run jobs and you collect money and you can qualify races and when you qualify a race if you have enough money you pay the entrance fee and then it drops you into uh, a race. And that changes the entire scene. It shows you the racetrack. You're racing against three other players, which are computer versions of carts. And then you race. If you lose, then it drops you back out. You didn't earn any money. Um, and it drops you back out into the regular gameplay. I don't actually know. I think there might be a setting for... I haven't looked at the code for this in quite a while. I think there's a setting for whether or not that drain loses the ball for you or if it just drops you back out into regular gameplay. Um, but essentially, it's a three-ball game, so as soon as you lose three balls, the game's over. But as you progress through races, you win a race, you collect some money, you go back into the, the jobs and the other modes, and you um, can requalify the next race. You go to the next race, and it's progressively harder. Your opponents are faster. And the tracks are different. There's different objectives, different things to shoot for to progress through the track. But ultimately, you're trying to race through and win all the races. You get to the last race. If you beat it, then you are the champion and you've won the game. So that's, that's ultimately the goal. It's a three-ball game where you're progressing, trying to get to the end and win the last race. The last race is super hard to win because in order to win it, you're going to need to upgrade your cart. 10 times, 12 times to maximize your acceleration and your top speed and all that stuff. Um, I actually don't think anyone's told me they've beaten it yet. That's well, awesome. I can guarantee you Parnell's going to do it the first time it comes over. <laughs> the first time? <laughs> I'm going to stuff one of my socks in the drain and just keep <laughs> finger poking. <laughs> and that's, that, that's kind of our whole gig, right, is it's – create as much diversity as we can but also to give give because it goes into the home environment to give beginners and expert players something interesting to shoot for and different rules that they can set up 
to, to enjoy the game themselves. One thing we haven't really talked about is our profile system, which I mean, in a game like Lexi or Host, you can actually log into the machine. You can put in your name and it can, for instance, then set the game up with different settings than someone else who's playing the game. So if you're really good at pinball, you can log into the game and set all the settings to be really difficult. And someone else who's playing, like player two in the same game, can log into the game, choose a different profile, and that can be set up in a super easy way. So I like to use the example of a father with some young kids. The father can set the game up really hard for himself and really easy for his kids, and they can try to you know, play against each other at these different skill levels, and, and it gives the kids a way to hopefully compete effectively with their father. So an, another way we're adding value and hopefully giving people in this home environment a way to enjoy the games together. Yeah, and I, honestly, I didn't even know about the profiles. I guess I need to read the manual. <laughs> read the manual. And, it, and yep. not, not only can you set them up differently, but you can save the state of your game. So in Heist, if you're having trouble getting to the end of Heist, you can theoretically log into the game um, after you're... I think you have to save between balls. So let's say you play balls one and ball two. You're waiting to launch ball three. You can tell it to save the state of your game. And however many characters you've collected and how much money you've collected and all this stuff. And then play your third ball. And then the next time you play the game, you can log in and you can restore the state. It doesn't restore the state with two balls played and one ball remaining. It restores the state with three new balls to play as if you're starting a new game just from that, that saved point. So if you really want to get to the end of the game, one way you could do it is by saving and restoring the state as you make progress. Oh my well, God. that's the mode that has Parnell sold. <laughs> I could beat games. This is crazy. Oh, the, the, the profiles is almost like, that is a perfect example of like my daughter's three. So she's just getting into stuff, but not fully comprehending it. But my gosh, that would be a really great way to play with her and not have to handicap myself on purpose. Yep. It, 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 there's one other way you can do it, which is we have a concept of team gameplay. So it's also based on the profile system. If If you log in as, say, the dad player, and your daughter can be players two, three, and four all logged in as her profile, you can enable this thing called team play, which allows all of her players to progress together. It's kind of like the co-op modes that other games have started developing. Um, it allows multiple players to play together and increase their scores and their progress together. But yeah, that's a, a way you can do it on the P3. And you don't have to do it in a balanced way. You can have three players playing against one player. Or you can have two versus two or whatever you want. Oh, wow. That's super awesome. Ryan, why didn't you know about this? Uh, I need to read the manual. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, if you go to Pinside, there's a multimorphic, uh, what do they call it, subforum. And... You could look back through some of the posts we've made over the years where we describe some of the new features we develop. And I think there's a post on profiles and save and restoring game states and co-op modes and all that stuff. It's a, it's a good resource to, to find a lot of the stuff we've announced over the years that, that the, the widespread community isn't really talking about yet. Yeah. 
Well, and that's super cool that you have that. Um, you know, I guess talking about Pinside, um, here we go. We're really getting into the mud now. Uh-oh. Uh, I know it. <laughs> um, so licenses. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting topic, and I say that because you'll hear all these people bitch and moan that there's not any original titles. And then you'll see all those same people run after every dad band that's come out in the seventies and eighties and buy whatever machine that is. Um, so, I mean, I guess a question that I have for you is, um, are licenses something that you're really considering down the road or are you really content and happy with the, uh, license free games that you're, you're creating? I personally really like the license-free games, the ones that aren't, uh, you know, a band or a movie or a comic book, um, you know, pretty much in that order, or a movie or something like that. So I find it really refreshing. But, you know, you, like I said, I, I like to call people out on, on Facebook and Pinside. They're like, oh, needs to be more original game titles. And I'm like, well, why didn't you buy Dialed In? Yeah. Like, why, why aren't you buying a P3? Like, why are you not purchasing these games? And then, like I said, you'll see people bitch and moan about whatever the newest title that somebody else is coming out with, yet they still go buy it. Um, so I guess I'm just kind of curious, are, are licensed games something that you really think you need to focus on? So the answer to that is yes. We okay. There's a there's the fun side of creating a pinball game, and there's the business side of it. And as you just described, it's it's unfortunate the way it the way it plays out. But yeah, a lot more people clearly buy licensed games than they do original games for whatever reason. And we can probably name a bunch of reasons and and guess whether they're right or wrong. But clearly, the pinball machines that are themed after a popular license. And yeah, you could go grab a license that isn't popular and it probably won't sell well. But ones that are based on licenses do sell a whole lot better than even the best, the best developed and the most fun original themes. So yeah, it's something we're, we're looking into. Um, but what a lot of people don't understand when, when they talk about that is um, a, when you're starting up, when you're a, a bootstrapped company building a very expensive to develop machine. Um, you have to be careful about where you spend your money. And it's a lot less expensive to develop an original game than it is to go pay for a popular license and then to have to iterate on the development of that game to appease the license holders. And then there's risks associated with getting the wrong theme or perhaps developing the game in a way that doesn't stay true to the theme or is going to uh, piss off all the people who expected the theme to be implemented in a certain way or whatever. So there's a lot of risks. Obviously the reward is that more people are likely to want to buy it. Uh, But there's a lot of risks up front. And to be honest with you, we haven't been in the situation financially up to this point where we could go out and spend $100,000 securing a license to a movie or something. Um, we're getting to that point. We're looking forward to getting a license theme for future games, but we just haven't been there. So it's kind of like we've been forced to grow organically, and it's been cool because we can develop all this cool, fun, 
interesting new content and get reactions from people like you who like original themes. But yeah, the, 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 the short version of that long answer is, <laughs> yes, we will be going after some licenses. We want to develop some licensed games because of how that translates into sales in this industry. Well, Jerry, listen to me closely, okay? I'm going to say something. I really need you to take this away from this, this discussion we're having. My Little Pony? Evil Dead. Can you please get that? That that would be <laughs> an amazing title. For you there have that. been stories recently about an Evil Dead machine from other companies, and I don't know if that's translating into a machine or if it's just something that didn't work out. Ryan. Yes. As per a different podcast we did, mm-hmm. I'm surprised you didn't say one that would be a great tie-in, which would be Doom, a video game. Oh, Doom. Great game oh on P3 because of the those uh, drop scoops at the top of the LCD and stuff. Did you know there was a homebrew, a homebrew Doom machine? I think there's been three. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. And I... Um, was actually thinking about doing my own homebrew. But what ended up happening is <laughs> you're going to laugh because I'd never played this game before. I, I ended up making T3, but not uh-huh. T3 themed. So I threw that away and said, I'll come back to it later. And it's kind of where it's sitting right now because I made a game with three ramps and I was so convinced I was being so innovative and cool. <laughs> and then I got a T3 on loan from a friend and I was like, oh my God, I just made T3. That's awesome. <laughs> but that's a validation of all your ideas. Good job. Yeah, I'm just 20 years too late. <laughs> Doom and Evil Dead, huh? <laughs> You know what? Listen, right now, serious, blank check. That Those are like blank check themes, all right? Uh, <laughs> the first podcast I ever listened to was Nick Baldrich's, okay. uh, the EM Bingo one. Yeah. And so when he got a P3, it kind of blew me away. And then I was like, wow, he loves projects and completing them. Unlike uh, myself, I like to buy the stuff and then never do it. So at least I've wasted the money. So when he actually made games, I was like, holy smokes. Is there a place that people are showing their games that they're developing on P3? Because I only know of Nick's because he posted it while in his podcast, but also he has threads on Pinside. But is there like a place where people are posting their games or development? So some people like to talk about their projects and some people develop them in private until they're ready. But most Really, the only place I've seen people talk about their P3 projects are on pin sides. There are a couple people who created threads. Nick specifically created threads for Ranger in the Ruins and his other game, Quest for Glory. And then we have in our Slack channel, we have a a sub-channel for P3 developers. And that's a place where people are talking about their projects to each other to get help Mm -hmm. developing them. I haven't seen a a big public forum where people are just talking about their ideas. Most people want to make sure their uh, the ideas are mature and well implemented before they show them to the public. Sure, I guess it just it gets me more excited to be to see what other people are kind of thinking about. Because, like Ryan, I've had this want to make my own game for I don't know how many years, and then uh, once I had children, 
all my time just got chucked out the window. <laughs> yep. Now that Ryan has a P3, I'm just going, hmm, I wonder if I could like develop some of it, send them down code, do testing. And I mean, it just has my brain just like on fire thinking about it. Well, the answer to all that is yes, of course. Uh, but one of the things we've done with the with the dev kit is you can literally get on our support site and download the dev kit. Uh, you build games in the Unity game engine. Mm-hmm. What what that means is um, you can fully simulate them on your computer. So you can develop a game for the P3 and run it on your computer, and you can mimic the movement of the ball by dragging the mouse around on the screen. Um, you can hit some keyboard switches to activate, virtually activate switches on the play field and stuff. So you can fully play test your game on your computer. Then when you give it to Ryan, he can actually enjoy the experience because you'll have worked out most of the bugs. I didn't realize that your kit had the, like the game emulation in it. That's freaking awesome. Yep, yep. So simulation is a big part of custom or homebrew pinball development because you want to be able to develop the software and the hardware kind of in parallel. So being able to simulate the game, being able to make sure that you can emulate what's happening on the hardware through keys and and whatever is super important for the entire community. But um, we've integrated into a graphical subsystem so you can actually see the graphics playing on the play field and all that other stuff. You can drag the mouse around as if your ball were rolling over uh, virtual elements and interacting with them and stuff. So, yeah, you can do all that on the computer. Uh-oh. Ryan, you're going to be my guinea pig until I get a P3. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> see, now, Jerry, if you wanted to sell Parnell on the system, you'd either get the Princess Bride license. Mm-hmm. You know, we, or, we thought um, about that one. The Hydro Thunder. Oh, if you could make a Hydro Thunder pinball machine. He's publicly talked about it on the podcast that he wants to make a Hydro Thunder themed pinball machine. So if you did that, you'd have at least one sale. That would be <laughs> that would be one more than we have now without Hydro Thunder. <laughs> I'd buy one too. Why not? <laughs> Every playfield is then open for development, right? Like so people can develop on the Heist platform right now? Yes, actually, Nick just announced that he is developing on the Heist platform. I saw, I saw a Facebook post where he just said he's developing a new games with his daughters. They're doing a lot of the rules with him, and he's using the Heist playfield. Yeah, I remember him mentioning it. I, that's his third, well, it'll be his third, and then with his family, or his daughters. Yeah. Yeah, so every new playfield we come out with, we we release or we distribute with the de- the developers kit uh, what's called a a definition file for that playfield. Mm-hmm. So when you simulate, the simulator understands all of the hardware mechanisms on that playfield. So yeah, we make it pretty easy for you to interface to the mechs on a particular playfield. And we also have um, getting a little bit technical here, but we have what are called device drivers for each playfield too. Module drivers, we call them. So on the highest playfield, there's the crane and a bunch of servos that control gates and diverters and things. And the person who's programming the app, the game app, like the heist game or like Nick's game, that developer doesn't have to know anything about the hardware. It, they don't need to know to say, move the crane three degrees to the left or 
open this gate by turning the servo on or this motor on or off. They don't have to do that. They just have to basically send a command to the module driver that says, put the crane at position 3, 2, 1. And the crane just goes there because someone else wrote the module driver code. So we make it as easy as we can to let people develop games and just add fun stuff. Well, yeah, and, and Nick, didn't he complete Ranger in the Ruins? Uh, at least, like, his launchable version uh, at launch, didn't it only take him, like, 80 days, I think, or 68 yeah. days, something like that? It was quick. Well, that's uh, also because Nick is crazy and doesn't sleep. And, well. <laughs> and once he has an idea in his head, he just develops it until it's done. But yeah, he was still able to, to do that very quickly. And how hard is it to, to like, let's say, like Nick's first game or, or me or Ryan wanted to, to build a game. Is it hard to get it into your app store or does, there have, does it have to meet a certain requirement? Kind of like how Apple and Android verify or review your apps before posting so yes we have to do something similar for two reasons one we want to make sure that somebody develops a game that is safe for people to install because you're talking about activating coils and physical mechanisms and things that could break if you drive them the wrong way we build some safety mechanisms into the framework but uh, you can still lock on a coil or do something that you shouldn't do and it can burn someone's coil out or start a fire or do something bad. So yes, we test that stuff for sure. Uh, we also do want to make sure that the content in the game is something that we're comfortable selling to um, families and, and various consumers. We have not yet built in um, lockouts for parents or other types of things that you that that we might do someday, so you, so anyone can, you know, download or buy a game, but we, they can keep certain age groups from playing them and those kind of things. We haven't yet done that, so we do have a review process, but at least right now, because we're small and the community is just starting out, and it's it's um, we want as many games on the system as we can, so we're pretty lax about um, whatever you want to do is probably okay. We just might ask you to tweak a few things. Perfect. Fully understandable too. Uh, definitely making sure that it, you don't want some of the, maybe a very bad looking inappropriate game to come on and, and just be installed by anybody and make your point. Yeah. Then there's a perception thing associated with that too, right? We don't want people to see, um, to, to jump onto our app store and just see a bunch of half baked apps that, someone conceived and threw something together and then put it up for sale. We, we want to have a fairly professional set of games that people can buy and know that if they're getting something from the Multimorphic App Store, it's because it's, because it's a quality game that someone's put thought in and time in it and, and made a, a fun playing experience. Is there a, and like if, if need be, I can edit any of this out, um, but like when someone adds a game to the App Store, is there a percentage that they like uh, Apple takes, I don't know, remember what it is, if it's 10% or 15% off the top. Is there a cut that goes to kind of the game manufacturer, you guys? Yes. So it's a similar model, though, because, again, that we're very early, we don't take very much at all. 
Uh, we want to encourage people to develop games. As the App Store grows, and if there's 100 different games on it, then we'll be a little more either a little stricter about the requirements that go into the game, or we'll, uh, we'll take a bigger cut, because we have to manage the servers, we have to do the reviews, we have to um, do all the technical support throughout the development process. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of effort that goes into it on our end. Um, but generally speaking, we want the developer to make the bulk of the money on their games. We want to encourage people to make content and, and be rewarded for doing it. Sweet. Yeah. Sounds awesome. And, and also, we don't even define the price. You, you, the app developer, you get to define the price. So if you want to sell the game for 10 bucks, by all means, sell it for 10 bucks. Or if you want to sell it for 10,000 bucks, you can try to do that too. My God. It's going to be like that app on the iPhone that was, what was like a thousand or ten thousand dollars for something just super stupid <laughs> well and then you'll be lowering your price when no one buys it <laughs> <laughs> is the artwork for the lcd and or ball tracking is that decently easy as well to kind of take like i know in heist like i mean dollar bills come down the ball rolls over and collects it i mean there's a lot of a lot of interactivity that could be done yeah so um, there's two aspects of that. One is how to get the graphics on the screen, which is all about the Unity game engine. Um, if if you learn how to use the Unity game engine, which, by the way, is what uh, a large percentage of video game developers out there use for developing computer games, mobile games, uh, console games, it's, it's a very popular development environment. Um, and it makes it really easy to add graphics and manipulate them and put physics on objects on the screen and stuff. Um, and then there's our ball tracking that runs on top of that which, yes, it's super easy. What you do is when you create a, a graphical element on the screen, you attach to it something that's called a collider, which is essentially telling the system that this thing can interact with other objects. And then we have a virtual representation, which is invisible, so the player doesn't see it, but a virtual representation of the pinball. So as the pinball is moving around, um, we make a copy of the pinball on the screen that's invisible, and we attach this collider thing to that too. Then when the pinball collider hits the graphic collider, it can call any function you want it to call. So you can decide what happens when those things hit each other. Maybe you're blowing up a target, or maybe you're just collecting the, those floating dollar bills, or, or maybe you're rolling through a pool of water and you want the water to show a wave or something. You can do all that stuff. It's not it's it's not too hard. It's actually built into the Unity game engine, really. I've dabbled in Unity, so this is just fire for this uh, or fuel <laughs> for this fire that I have. <laughs> I have uh, developers on our team who are experts in Unity. They can do amazing things. And then when I try to do something Unity, all I can do is get like a circle to interact with a stick, and that's about all I can do. But there there are people who can do amazing things in that engine. Yeah, I followed the Unity subreddit, and it blows me away that people, like a single developer, just in their free time can make just amazing games. And that community also helps each other out with getting um, like the collider physics and just different um, yeah. view angles. It looks 3D, but it's just a 2D plane. It's, it's wild, absolutely wild. And it's all, I think the Unity is free. It is, it is free. They have some different levels of licensing where I, I think the newer versions of it, you have to pay if you own a company that makes so much money a year. Mm. Um, we're actually still in an older version 
that we have a perpetual license to use. Um, so we're still in a slightly older version. But yeah, one of the nice things about using Unity, um, to your point, is if you have a problem manipulating graphics, you don't have to ask us for help. We're, we're the pinball people. You can just go to the, the Unity engine or the Unity forums and ask people for help. And there are literally millions of people developing video games on Unity who can help you. I think we have just kind of just a, a general question for you. If there's anything coming uh, out soon that you wanted to kind of give a heads up <laughs> to our listeners um, or any other features, any P-Rock boards or updates, and then we can can let you go for the night. Yeah, I appreciate the question. Obviously, you know I'm running a business and aren't gonna, I'm not going to give away a, a lot of secrets. But generally speaking, we're just always looking to add new cool stuff. I mean, yes, we have some confidential games we're working on, a couple mini games, um, a real full game kit that's coming <gasps> eventually <laughs> at some point in the future. Maybe a month from now, maybe a year from now, maybe 10 years from now. Oh, you just got Ryan's wallet all over the place. Wait, yeah, my wallet's already burning in my pocket. <laughs> I mean, but obviously we've created this platform and, and our whole our whole business depends on us creating more content to it. So while I'm not going to talk about specific games that we're doing, okay. um, there will be a lot more games coming out. There will be a lot more games coming out by us and like I said earlier, the more and more people who buy P3s, the more and more people who are going to be creating games for it. So at some point, we reach critical mass with this system and games just start coming every week. I feel like game release Friday and like every Friday <laughs> a new game drops. Uh. Um, see, I'm looking forward to the point where we have so many developers that people are releasing like the, the $9.99 games, the, the $9.99 games and stuff to... Kind of like the pinball corollary to the the ninety nine cent games on mobile phones and stuff. Oh my god, I could ask questions forever, but I, I did notice that you've like plastic sets for different games, so you can kind of have like if you dropped in heist, you could have the slingshots and stuff have their own plastic. Would people be able to make their own plastics for their specific game, or is that no kind of do it on their own? No one's asked that question before, and we haven't had to answer it before. But so we we specify the shapes, the sizes of all of our artwork. So for instance, um, we haven't talked about it, but our cabinet artwork is magnetic. So you can easily change the cabinet artwork on the machine just by peeling off a magnet and sticking on a new one. Um, we specify so cool. <laughs> we specify the sizes of that. So anyone can create their own magnets and sure the slingshots and the side targets and things that have artwork on top of them. Um, happy to specify that as well so anyone who creates a game can create whatever they want to put on them oh, this is just yeah. like lightning in a bottle just for anybody looking to to even dabble or start i think one of my big things was now with children my basement can't be my only my game room and so i've had to downsize and so i have a size restriction or a number game number restriction and Something like the P3, where you're able to have an unlimited number of games with a limited number of playfields, is kind of amazing because you're not swapping this huge playfield like uh, Pin 2000 or uh, Highway Pinball. You're swapping just this little third section, and then games on that playfield can be limitless. I mean, it adds unlimited number of games for this one cabinet and just having to store a couple small boxes. That's insane. Yeah, I, 
I think Ryan said that it took 10 minutes to swap a Pinball 2000 game. That was, I, I want to clarify, that was with a Prism daughter board, okay. another set of ROM chips plugged into that daughter board. That daughter board plugged into a Prism main board. Uh, and then, of course, the other play field and swapping the shooter rod for the button. Okay. I mean, you could do it in 10 minutes, but that was a very busy 10 minutes. And realistically, if you did it the way that the kits gave it to you, it took about an hour because you had to wow. manually pull all the ROM chips off. So. Okay. And now how long does it take you to switch between Heist and Cosmic Heart Racing? <sighs> Maybe two minutes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I, I live about two hours north of Ryan. When he got it, he's like, you got to come down. And I was like, well, I mean, uh, are we going to be able to switch games? Like, we play a couple of games and we switch to the next play field. And he's like, oh, yeah. By the time you go pee, I'll be, you'll be back and the new game will be up and running. I'm like, holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell people it takes longer to get the glass out than it does to swap a game. And the glass is standard glass, right? It's a standard lockdown bar and the standard slide the glass out the front. But literally you do that and then you just pull the machine out or pull the playfoot out, stick a new one in and put the glass back in. You're done. Jeez. Yeah, I think I think the longest process, honestly, besides taking the glass off, is just moving all the pinballs out from the trough. Okay, okay. I mean, but that is like questionable, right? I mean, that's not actually something that takes a lot of time, but like... Those are the two biggest time crunches in the whole thing. There's three to four connectors in the back of the machine that are all like you can't mess them up. It is impossible to mess up the three to four connectors <laughs> like that plug up to the module and the module drops down. You push two clips. You're done. Like yeah. it's so incredibly easy. The only downside to them is there's some weight to it. So you got yeah. you got heist is heavy. Heist is a heavy play field. It's forty uh, some pounds. Um, Cosmic Kart Racing and the others are twenty four pounds a piece. So they're pretty easy to manipulate. Heist requires some 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 motivation to get that game in and out. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It's definitely a bit more heavy than the other play fields and that's Especially when you're like lifting it up and extending your arms out like yeah. sliding it into the tracks but it's still i mean a breeze compared to a whole pin 2000 play field oh yeah for sure <laughs> and, and honestly as we mature as a company and develop three or four or five more play fields we're gonna realize what works and what doesn't so we'll make sure that every new game that we come out with is hopefully full of features, but also easy to install and, and remove. I don't think it could get much easier. All right. Got to be pretty honest with that. I mean, I'm sure you will innovate and impress me, Jerry, but I'm just being real with you right now. I don't know how you could make it any easier. Okay. Mark, <laughs> mark this, this time, this date. All right. Yeah. March 1st, 2021, 10, 20 PM central time. <laughs> <laughs> we're all about innovating and figuring out new and better ways to do things so uh i i like the challenge i look forward to seeing what you guys come out with because it is nothing short of probably the most exciting stuff in pinball right well, now thank you for that thank you thank you for your enthusiasm both your enthusiasm parnell you too i appreciate all of the uh the excitement i hear in your voices when we talk about this stuff and, and thanks for the support and certainly glad you're enjoying the machine 
you know it. I can't wait to give you more of my money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to get down to Ryan's place, uh, hopefully in the next week or two, give this baby a shot. Oddly, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen one. I've just seen it, you know, on streams. Like I've been very interested in it. It's just the, the price is a, it's not fully scary, but back in the day I was like, you know, thousand dollar pinball machines. And now when you amass your collection, you realize that 10,000 is nothing. Especially like you said, when you have a single game that'll cost 10,000 from all the other manufacturers, it's like, that's the new norm almost. So which, which is crazy, but yeah, unfortunately that's true. Yeah. And then we're over 10. That's just one game. <laughs> and you're just stuck with the one game. Where this, at least, there's an, a limitless value and it goes into the future. Where I think to your point earlier, you might not like Lexi Lightspeed, but there might be a game in a year that blows your socks off. Yep. And even then, new customers who buy whatever that game is, they get to backfill their libraries with the existing games. So we're, uh, our whole business model is customer loyalty, right? Everything we do is giving new value to customers. Now, we want customers to keep their machines when they buy new games because if you have a P3 and we come out with a new game, it's, it's not 7000 or 8000 or $10,000. It's $3,000. We don't want you to sell your old machines to buy new ones. We want you to keep it and keep adding to it and keep enjoying it. Well, I can tell you right now, uh, I mean, obviously the list of pinball manufacturers to begin with is pretty short. Uh, you guys are absolutely at the top of my list uh, for any new titles that come out just because there's so many not so great things that have happened to me in my time uh, that there's been some manufacturers that will keep nameless for this podcast that uh, have done me dirty. And, uh, you know, even though I've been asking really stupid questions sometimes, <laughs> uh, you have been very helpful uh, you know, and, and kind and saying, read the frickin' manual. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And the other thing is, I don't know if you know this, but your machine has a two-year warranty on it. So even though you didn't buy it from us, the machine still has a two-year warranty on it. So you'll be getting free replacement parts for anything that was broken, um, not due to wear, of course, wear items are a different story, but if, if anything is wrong with the machine due to manufacturing issues, we will be happy to replace it for you. And we can offer that because our quality is good enough that not a whole lot goes wrong. I think you're the only manufacturer to have over a year warranty. I think you're right. There's some distributors that might add their own warranty, but no manufacturer does. So that's it's impressive. I mean, We're it's a super- I mean, yes, we have issues to deal with like everyone else does, but yeah, we're really proud of the machine and the engineering on it. And uh, our quality will continue to get better and better and better, and hopefully we can even increase the, the warranty beyond that. <laughs> well, regardless of, uh, you know, the, I mean, industry standard warranty, for lack of a better term, uh, I am very, very confident that even after that time, if I ran into issues, I know that you guys would at least be able to help me. And, uh, that says a lot these days, seriously. Like I, I, I don't know how many new pinball machines you've bought recently, but, uh, that statement should hold 
a lot of power to people that are listening to this. And I know it holds a lot of power to Parnell as well. Cause he's seen me with more than one or two struggles and uh, it's a huge deal. Seriously. Like I can't thank you and, and congratulate you enough on that. Cause well, that's thank a big you. Deal. Thank you. We just, honestly, this, this sounds like just a line, but we really just want everyone who has a machine to enjoy it. So if someone buys a P3, they've supported us. They're putting their faith in our ability to design a machine. I take it personally. Honestly, I, I, I feel bad if that person's machine isn't running right. So I will do what I can and I'll make sure the rest of our team is there to support you. Well, I guess uh, it's that time. It's time to let you go back to your, your family, your, your work, because you got to, you know, got to keep working on that new module. All right, get, 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 get my going little on pony that. coming next <laughs> month. No, Evil Dead. I'm you, telling you, you'd really rather have Evil Dead days. than My Little Pony. I would. You can come out oh. barnyard too, though, for uh, <laughs> for Parnell because I know I, he'll be all over it. <laughs> so tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to start Baby Shark for uh, oh, one yeah. of those modules. <laughs> oh yeah, get on that, get on that dev kit. Oh god, I will be signing up for that tomorrow. Um, okay, cool. That is exciting. If I would have known, actually, I would have already done it, but now I will. This is sweet. I'm now excited to send Ryan games. Well, awesome, guys. Thanks again for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, obviously, I appreciate Ryan's support of the product, but uh, I appreciate you guys giving me a forum to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you want to pump, like your website or how to contact you guys or check out Buy Games? or? Definitely get on www.multimorphic.com. We talk about the machine on there. You can see the whole catalog of games. You can see the games that we've made, the games that our third parties have made, and you can see videos on some of the cool features of the machine. So definitely check it out. And if you have more questions, just fill out the uh, little form on there. It'll email us and we'll get back to you. Yes, also the PROC boards are on there as well in case you want to do any rethemes or code updates to your current games. And also, if you're interested in development, um, especially you, Parnell, you'll probably be interested in that Slack channel I've been talking about where all the developers kind of hang out and, and talk and help each other. Yes, that is true. Perfect. Well, thank you, Jerry. We appreciate it. And hopefully we can have you on again when, uh, when something new drops or Ryan has some other new fandangled game in his basement on the P3 platform. Oh, yeah. No, Jerry doesn't realize it, but he's just signed his life away. Okay. You're coming back when you launch your next game, and we're, we're going to talk about it. I will, uh, <laughs> I will happily, happily do exactly that. I, I, I always love talking about the new stuff, and, and especially with people who really, who really appreciate what we're doing and enjoy the machine. So thank you. Yeah, look forward well, to you're it. stuck with me, buddy. So don't thank me yet. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Nope. I don't, I don't even know how to respond anymore. <laughs> well, thank you again, Jerry. And, and we hope you have a, a wonderful night. Thank and, you guys. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you soon with new and exciting stuff. Excellent. Thanks again. You guys yep. have a good night too. Thank you, you too. Well, everyone, uh, we said goodbye to Jerry and it was an absolute pleasure having him on the show, but it is that time. So we must bid you adieu. Good evening. Good day. Good night. My God, you were so good at saying goodbye. I just like Midwest linger. <laughs> like right now? Yeah, you, see, that's the thing. You're not from the Midwest, so you're really good at just peace out, and then you're gone. Goodbye.
<laughs> Hope everybody enjoyed this. We want to have Jerry back on, obviously, when uh, he has a new product come out. So if you have any questions that you want us to ask Jerry next time, please let us know at flippinandmashing at gmail.com. And we will speak to you later. Goodbye. Yeah.